This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, hey, everybody. Hello, my fellow Westorians. Happy Wednesday. Happy episode four book to show day. We're back at our usual time. And we're here to discuss an episode that is partly designed to make us all suffer. (laughs) There is suffering, as there often is, over... The writing and the expectations and the fact that this is the climax and there's not enough time to resolve things that people want resolved. And that's, uh, you know, that's causing consternation. But also, aside from all that, there's a lot of book implications from this episode and implications from things they've already shown us now that mean a little more. And even if these things are being heavily condensed... Well, they're there, and whether we like them or not on the screen, they're giving us a lot of fun stuff to talk about as far as book possibilities, as far as book predictions. So it's got my head spinning, um, really, and that's a good thing. So I want to know if that's true for y'all as well. And when I say y'all, I mean you guys out there in the chat, but I also mean that to my guests so, hey, Lady Gwen, how do you feel about this last episode as far as its book implications? Oh, I had a lot of thoughts. I didn't think I had many at first, but the more I thought about it and when I sat down to work uh, on our document in preparation for this, I realized I have lots of book implications. Yeah, it just kept going, head. right? Just more yeah. and more. The more we dug, the more we found. It's often mm-hmm. how it goes, right? Peel back that curtain and, and it just keeps uh, keeps giving us more gifts. And I have the same question for our first time guest, but well known or in these parts. Welcome to our book to show live streams, Joe Buckley. Hi guys, thanks for having me. Right on. Good to be on the other side of the document. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Joe's helped us with a lot of writing in the past with some of our house history episodes and with our season seven and season eight coverage. And you have a show yourself called The Isle of Faces. Tell us a little bit about that. I do. It's just a little show and it's early days so far, but it's um, mainly just about showing off the fandom a bit and having some guests on to talk about how they found the series, be that book or show, and how they got involved with the fandom and whatnot. We've had Davos Fingers on, we've had Jinx Lear, Vanessa Cole so far, so it's been pretty fun, pretty good start so far. Absolutely, yeah, and it's a great name for the show too. Isle of Faces is really just yeah. the perfect name for your show. It's uh, That's I the love best it. bet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, you can be found at, at Sir Buckley S E R B U C K L E Y on Twitter, and mm. uh, at your blog is thegrindstone.co.uk. 
That's right. That's true. Yeah. It should be Sir, uh, Sir Joe, really, but I got it wrong in the early days. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you for being here and thanks everybody else for coming today. We appreciate it. We're looking forward to all the good questions that you often have for us. And uh, we've got a lot prepared. We wrote a lot for this episode. As I said, our heads were spinning a bit. And hopefully we can share that with you as well as possible, as succinctly as possible. Um, so thanks to some of the patrons that make our show possible that help fund this endeavor uh, multiple episodes a week during the season and as much as we can do in the off season as far as scripted content and the occasional live stream as well. Those supporters include Jeff Gnarly, the long snapper, history of Westeros's first sword, as well as our, our dragon rider patrons. That includes Telenius the Talon, king of Gagasos, rider of Telerius, a red dragon with scales, horns, and talons of Midnight Black, and Robert IV of House Ardeacor, burned king of Blazewater Bay, rider of Atroxus, a black dragon with bioluminescent spots like smoldering embers and a banded blue tail. Uh, don't forget that after the season, our Patreon price schedule is going to change a little bit, but if you sign up now, you get grandfathered in at the old rate. So get in now for cheaper bonus episodes. And right now we have three episodes that you can only get through Patreon or through a donation on PayPal. And those episodes are my review of the Feast for Crows prologue, Pate's chapter, as well as our review of the A Dance with Dragons epilogue, which is, of course, a huge chapter and the last chapter we saw outside of the Winds of Winter, and an episode on the blood magic of the city of Gagasos, or just blood magic in general, focusing on the city of Gagasos in the Basilisk Isles, which... Sounds like something really tinfoily and out there, but it's all very supported and it's a lot of very fun evidence that we gathered for that one. So I think you'll like it if you haven't heard it already. We're going to do a few things different with the uh, the chat the rest of the season, but we'll explain that next week. We're working on that. We're probably going to get a few different things set up because of the occasional spoiler being dropped and things like that. We want to try to protect everybody from from that kind of thing. Also, if you checked out our episode on winning Westeros, which was by uh, Max Brooks and M.L. Cavanaugh and several other great folks. We released an episode on that, which is only available on the podcast feed. We didn't have a video feed for it. It was a telephone interview. And the book winning Westeros, well, they sent us a coupon after the fact. So if you heard the episode, this wasn't included. If you've already pre-ordered it, well, you might want to cancel that pre-order and order it from nebraskapress.unl.edu instead. nebraskapress.unl.edu and use the code 6BWW for 40% off the book. So, yeah, that's why you might want to cancel your pre-order and do this instead, because it's a lot cheaper. If you'd prefer to wait for an audiobook, we're pretty sure there's going to be one. It hasn't, it's not 100% confirmed, but they said they are, are planning on it. So once we get that, we'll let you know. And uh, that should be fun. So enough of the announcements. Let's get right into it. Like I said, episode was kind of painful and uncomfortable. It's just hard to see our favorite characters go against each other. And that's, and that puts us against each other in a lot of ways. And you know, it's just kind of hard to see that, especially because we are reminded that this is a tragedy and, you know, you see this funeral at the beginning. And it's almost like a harbinger of more death to come because, hey, this isn't the end. Uh, that wasn't the last funeral. Those weren't the last character deaths. And, hey, we got reminded of that before the end of the episode. So I'll turn it over to uh, y'all. Uh, I've weighed in on the funeral on Monday. I don't have anything else terribly new to say, but I want to hear from from our guests. So Lady Gwen, what did you think about the funeral scene? 
Uh, well, of course, it was very moving. Uh, the, basically, what I, I wanted to say about this with regard to John's speech, uh, which felt very much inspired by, you know, Tolkien or, you know, it was a very... They were they were going for that big speech moment. He refers to the dead as the shields that guarded the realms of men, which of course is taken right from the Night's Watch vows. But looking at who they specifically show, there's a dead person. You know, one of their dead is paired up with one of the living. In each instance, uh, you got Jorah, Theon, Beric, Ed, all of whom were literally shields to the person that's standing over their funeral pyre um they gave their lives to shield that specific person uh even leanna mormont she wasn't a one-for-one shield but she did save quite a few people (laughs) by killing that zombie giant she sure did they were the embodiment of that and i found that really cool right on what about you joe uh, I think two things stood out to me on the back of what Lady Gwen said. The John's speech he's got much much better with his um, public speaking. He sounds very kingly uh, now, which probably actually hurts him later on. Daenerys is probably eyeing his speeches and thinking he makes a good speech. Um, <laughs> good point. And the other thing was just that um, Sansa puts the wolf head pin or the brooch on on Theon before he goes, so he gets to go into the next life truly as a Stark. And he had the thing with the brands brooch in the book. So it's a nice little link. Yeah. It feels weird to kind of rate a funeral, but yeah, you give Sansa <laughs> kind of as the MVP maybe of the, <laughs> of the funeral. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> well, that's a strange concept. Good job mourning there. You really, you were the best mourner. <laughs> So let's take a few questions. Um, As always, the questions build up in between the episode. And right as we start, a lot of questions roll in. So we try to take care of a few of them right off the bat. I want to re-explain real quickly how we do questions, because occasionally there's a little confusion. We, Because we have three episodes a week, sometimes we move questions we receive to episodes that are more appropriate, especially predictions, because predictions are something a lot of people try to avoid, especially because they involve spoilers from the next episode. And that's because we do look at the trailers and the stills and interviews in order to make predictions. And so it's not really uh, fair to drop that on someone who's been told that they won't be in this episode. So if someone asks us a question that involves predictions, well, we're not just going to spoil people. Uh, we're not going to change our policy on the fly when people are are relying on us to not spoil them. So that is basically how that works. Other than that, we try to take the questions. We try to group them as best as we can on the fly with the topic they belong in. But considering uh, the nature of live streams, we mostly just try to get them in as best as possible. One, one very popular question we've gotten is a great place to start. Uh, Ethan H., Joe L., Marilyn Sand, and others have asked similar questions, all uh, sort of revolving around the future of the Starks and whether they're not or are literally the last Starks, which is, of course, the name of the episode, the last of the Starks. Well, there's one explanation here that needs to be settled. Uh, I think there's a little bit of confusion on how these last names can work. It's not law that the woman takes the man's last name. It's custom, just like it is in the real world. Well, in parts of the real world, certainly, you know, in most of the West, I think that's how it works. It's not forced. You don't have to take your husband's name. It's custom, not not law. Same thing applies here, even for these high nobles. 
Sansa, if she gets married, she can keep the Stark name and her husband can take the Stark name. In fact, there's an extremely famous example of that, Bale the Bard. Bale the Bard was a wildling and she uh, he impregnated uh, the last daughter of House Stark and it was the only heir to House Stark. So the line continued through this this woman and we've also got other cases where such such as Lady Dustin where she's the last she's not truly a Dustin but she's ruling in House Dustin's name. Basically there's a lot of wiggle room <laughs> with these with these things and without it honestly it's the only way to explain how these families can last for thousands of years is by uh, being able to cheat here and there with uh and bend the rules but as i said they're not really rules but that's not the same as will there be more starks later as in will these starks continue whether or not they can and whether or not they will are two different questions so i'll turn over the 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 rest of this question to y'all um joe why don't you start this time what do you think about the future of the Starks, Sansa, Arya, John, in particular, assuming that Bran can't procreate? Mm. Uh, I think it's probably going to end up something, as you say, where there'll be some wiggle room, there'll be some little clause someone comes up with where whatever happens, the line will continue because it's just one of those things everybody is so used to, they'd kind of lose their minds if it wasn't around, as we've already seen in the book. So they're going to want that stability. Having said that, um, if they did all up ending and just completely flat out, it would it would kind of make sense if they have had this one duty for 8,000 years uh, to protect the North or protect mankind. And then kind of like Melisandre, when the duty's done, so are they. It would make a bit of poetic sense, I guess. Yeah, good point. What about, what about you, Lady Gwynn? Well, that's an interesting idea, especially considering the name Winterfell. So uh, it could be that, you know, there's some prophecy that the Starks have to endure until this moment, you know, has been, this moment has been fulfilled. I think really what you were indicating about Sansa is probably the most likely route for continuation of the name would expect that if, if she's still around at the end, that she probably would marry, continue as Lady Stark and have children in order to continue the family. I think she's the only option, really, if, if we assume that John is going to fulfill his destiny and Arya is going to be, you know, not a lady, no one, you know, like we've seen already in the show. So Yeah, she seemed pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty clear on that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's possible if there was some sort of long epilogue, which there, you know, if we were to truly imagine their future and Sansa was unable to have a kid, maybe Arya would be like, okay, for the family... I'll have a kid, but I'm still not living at the house. I'm still not going to be a lady. I just, I'll get, I'll get that baby and then get back on the road. <laughs> uh, shout out to Secret to the Citadel and Azor Hype. I see some, uh, see at least one person in the chat saying they have made their way over here from there. So appreciate that and want to share the love. Also, one of the questions related to the history, the future of House Stark asks that George hinted about the unicorns of Skagos and 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 which makes us wonder about Rickon in the books and we wonder if Rickon's fate will be similar and maybe at the end he will be left standing instead of the way they've done it in the show uh you never know I don't know just kind of an off-topic question but do you guys think Rickon will live in the show in the books or do you think he's gonna maybe Get some sort of fate like we saw in the show with uh, maybe not Ramsey getting him, but somebody getting him. Yeah, I, I think he's uh, he's not going to make it. You know, I've 
probably said it here before. I've always maintained that the name of his direwolf is a uh, number one indicator that Rickon isn't really going to be that important to the prophecy. Mm. I mean, to the narrative. So, mm. Mm. would you agree with that, Joe? Yeah, I don't. I think even if he did come back, he's probably they. They've all kind of had something of themselves robbed. He might come back too wild like he was already or super Mm. aggressive or something. So it could happen, but I wouldn't bet money on it, no. Right on. I see a couple people pointing out that Rickon is literally intended to be the Shaggy Dog story. And the Shaggy Dog story is, of course, for those who don't know, it's a reference to a story that doesn't go anywhere, which is kind of George was having a little joke by saying that Rickon's story isn't going to go anywhere by naming his dog Shaggy Dog. However... George is a gardener, and his original plan for Rickon almost certainly has changed because he originally only planned three books, and there's no way... Well, Rickon is still alive after the third book now, and this whole Skagos business at least gives him something to do. So it's definitely out the the possibility that the whole Shaggy Dog name is no longer accurate uh, as far as a hidden joke about his fate. But... If it does go that way, no one's going to be surprised. At least no one who's got got that joke. <laughs> okay, next one is from the prince that wasn't promised. Eamon had to become a maester, then take the black to stop it. Now that's referring to John taking the black to, or, or the con- well, we talked about John abdicating to Daenerys to kind of remove any claim issues that might be out there if he were to, you know, declare his claim is is null and void. Now, that's true. Eamon did that. He didn't necessarily have to. He took that step uh, to help his brother. But we also have a counterexample of Duncan, as in the Duncan from Jenny's song, who he uh, abdicated being heir, but didn't go off somewhere. He didn't go hide at the wall or, you know, he died at Summerhall. So he was still hanging around court. What do you what do you all think about that? We're going to obviously talk a lot more about John and Danny later in the episode. Mm -hmm. But do you think that's even a valid solution in this case, whether or not they go there or not? Uh, Joe, you start this time. Yeah, we're going to talk about it a bit later, so I won't go into too much. But it's um, I could definitely see there being other options in the north direction. Um, Torment hints at it a little bit. Don't really know if. We can't really apply taking the black. We don't know if there's any black to take anymore. <laughs> so, uh, we'll have to wait and see what the situation is at the end. But yeah, we'll get into a bit more later. Right on. Lady Gwen, what do you think? Yeah, it's just I think um, that it's this is definitely going to be on John's mind because, you know, he'll, he'll know this story. So um, and when it comes to considering his options, uh, he'll think about this story from the past where, you know, someone had to kind of really remove himself hard from from plotting and everything you know right on surrounds comment from karen pierre the death of missande for danny is equivalent to the death of jacarius for rhaenyra when lucerius was killed she was depressed and when jace was killed she went mad queen that's not uh, that's not a bad take there. I think that's it's it's interesting to look at the different reactions and to look at Rhaenyra. In fact, we have a big section near the end on how we used to compare Cersei to Rhaenyra and how we're starting to see Daenerys fit into this sort of triangle as well. And Rhaenyra is sort of the touchstone between them because she had kids and dragons, whereas Cersei and Daenerys had one or the other, but they all died <laughs> and they all had severe trauma and and. Uh, yeah, descent into problems that we'll definitely get further into later. 
from Sobenri KS. Will Regal do like Sunfire? Hashtag surprise not dead. Well, I have this little green dragon right here that went, oh. Well, yeah, I don't think he's coming back. <laughs> but that would be fun. You know, like think, I like thinking of Sunfire there. That's a clever, clever thought to imagine a dragon that seems dead coming back. Because anything we see in the past in those stories is on the table to come again because we know George likes to do that. So... I like the I like the I like this pattern of thinking, but yeah, don't think we'll actually get that happen. Acre Frey, do I spy a new guest? Get him to say the thing. Well, we know what the thing is, don't we? <laughs> Are you ready, Joe, for some uh, Celtic timepieces? Do tell me. Well, you have to say Irish wristwatch three times fast. Irish wristwatch. Irish wristwatch. Irish. Rich Frost. Oh, well, that is how it's supposed to go, you know. I do better doing it backwards, I think. <laughs> it's a tongue twister. Well, the tradition continues. <laughs> From Nathan Haland. Love the show. Keep it up. Thank you, Nathan. Appreciate it. We will definitely keep it up. From Sir Matthew of the House Begonias. Just showing some love before my phone dies on my train ride home. <laughs> well, we appreciate you uh, watching us on the train. We definitely uh, love to hear about all the various fun places people are listening because you never know. There's all sorts of creative and strange places people are when they're tuning into a podcast that you just wouldn't have guessed. And, and we like hearing that. It's very fun for everybody. For opinions on this new Dorn Prince, asks JTA. Actually, we've got a whole section on that. So let's hold off on talking about that. We definitely have some thoughts on it. Priscilla N. Hey, shout out to you, Priscilla. Thanks for that. And Fred Targaryen's Uncle Daddy with a very uh, random number donation. We appreciate that. Don't see a question. Uh, okay, so moving on for now. Uh, celebration. It's First, they have a celebration. Uh, well, not a celebration. They first have an event for the dead and then a celebration for the living. It's, it's kind of nice for a little while. It's a reprieve from further acrimony, and it's very human to... You know, drink to the dead. And, uh, and of course, it's a bit of a farewell, too, isn't it? There's a lot of people that aren't going to see each other again after this, even if it's not due to them, one of one or both of them dying. It's just, well, they're going back. So in some cases, they're going back to their lives. So let's start with the life of the party, uh, Torment, and maybe his new pet, uh, Ghost, who a lot of people have thoughts on Ghost. So you, you weigh in on both of those things. Uh, Lady Gwen, start with you. Well, I'm going to say, yeah, I think Tormund might survive in the books. I I have to, I always wonder if George told um, David and Dan the fates of minor characters, you know, when he gave him this sort of bullet point breakdown of how things ended. And when we, especially when we look at others who have been killed off in the show, who's still alive in the books or vice versa, it's kind of hard to predict, I guess, um, how some of the more minor characters might end up. But I think there's a fair chance because he is one of, even in the books, he's one of the few wildling characters that, you know, that we're familiar with. So I hope he survives. I have many thoughts on ghosts. I'm going to reserve those for later. Okay. Yeah. We can wait on ghosts. That's really just kind of just, just whether Tormund and ghost is a separate topic yeah. than ghost and John and ghost. Tormund and ghost sailing off into the sunset. Well, you know, <laughs> basically I, I just want to, wanted to get at whether this implies a possibility for him to survive. We could talk about I the love. parting and John's relationship yeah. with ghost. That's a separate topic, but just yeah. whether or not he lives is we can, we can, we can do that separately here. Yeah, maybe. 
So you think maybe, okay, that's fair. Yeah, it's yeah, really hard to say it, based on this. It's hard you know? to say. I mean, I have this kind of sinking feeling that all the, you know, the wolves are all going to be dead by the end. Yeah. It was nice seeing one of them maybe survive because I definitely wasn't expecting that either. What, yeah. what do you think, Joe? Uh, I think there's maybe more scope for him to die in the books because we do have at least a few other uh, wilding figures to still talk to, Val or Tormund's sons, or there's a few of us. But whereas in the show, it's really just him and Gilly, and obviously Gilly's a bit of a separate category. So, um, yeah, someone else might feel the Mr. Miss Wildling Mm-hmm. title for him in the books that's true and maybe we'll have more marriages we got steer and alice yeah. uh Carstark. we get we could have more things like that more bonding and oh, of the cultures and then only for them to die afterwards <laughs> maybe <laughs> that's just now this those those really northern houses are really really in trouble now lady gwen you're talking about how the funeral pile pe- funeral pyre pairing is uh, <laughs> also carried forward in different ways in this episode. Yeah, I found this fascinating. And, you know, this is really the best of what we're getting from the show. I think this season are the small moments between characters. Uh, You know, a lot of us expected, you know, the huge kind of bombastic battles to be really, you know, the best part, but it's turned out that this, the character development, you know, when it's just two people talking um, is really the best of it, uh, in my opinion. And to start out with, you got, um, so you have all kinds of pairs and we can, you know, address them one by one, but uh, Gendry and Arya um, starts, well, it starts with just Gendry. Gendry Rivers? Yeah, what was that about? Rivers? Oh, well, whatever. (laughs) I don't know. know. Clearly, we all know. We'll we'll move past that. He's Gendry Waters. (laughs) But interestingly enough, they're, you know, there, I was reminded, and I'm sure you guys were too, there's a strong precedent for a bastard being made the Lord of Storm's End because the original Baratheon Lord of Storm's End was Oris Baratheon, who was a Targaryen bastard. So certainly this is very precedented move. Uh, also, it was clever uh, to, you know, name him. And none of none of us were really that surprised because, let's face it, he's probably... Uh, at least in the show, he's the only Baratheon left. Yeah. Uh, so there we go. I, but interestingly, and we might talk about this later on, is I found this was sort of echoed later when Bronn was talking to Jamie and Tyrion about the origins of the Great Houses and how they're all kind of like, you know, bastards and whatever, you know. It, it's none of that. They weren't all, they didn't all just come into the world in silks and with silver spoons in their mouths. It's a great point. That that moment, I think a lot of people didn't like that scene a whole lot, and it definitely has some issues, but that was very... There was some depth there in that part of it. He was right. Like, there was some truth, and there's some very hard truths in what Bronn was saying. And uh, it, was, it was a good catch of you. Uh, good, good for you to catch that here. And we have more on it later as well. Um, and Joe, you had an interesting catch here as well. You, you, you took this back even farther. Well, yeah, I just thought HBO maybe being a taking an opportunity here to get some hints to their prequel talk. We know that um, there's talk about, you know, Lan the Clever and all the original uh, people of the houses. So, that yeah, that's a great take. I think that's really important. You're right that getting into the origin of these houses is right up their alley right now with that prequel show. So that's a great catch. I didn't think of that at all. I was thinking more recent history. And, uh, yeah, very cool. So, Lady Gwynn, also, you... 
thinking of the other side of this, you uh, have a great quote here from yeah. Arya. Yeah. Well, Arya, when, you know, Gendry proposes to her and no, they brought it right down to the, you know, you thought she was going to say yes. Well, he did. And we were all sort of on the edge of our seats, probably. Yeah. Uh, he says, but she says, that's not me, which is a very definite callback to something that she says to her father in a Game of Thrones. Um, what He's uh, talking to her about her future and she's kind of expressing that she wants to be something other than maybe what society might expect from her. And he says to her, you'll marry a king and rule his castle and your sons will be knights and princes and lords. And yes, perhaps even a high septon. And then Arya screwed up her face. No, she said, that's Sansa. Yeah. Not me. She's not a lady, even at eight years old. (laughs) You had a strong reaction to that one, huh, Joe? I, yeah, I definitely clapped when I heard <laughs> I say that on Sunday. Uh, you can ask my wife. I definitely started clapping. <laughs> <laughs> so you have some thoughts on, on Gendry here as far as this whole situation goes. Yeah, very happy for Gendry being named Lord of Storm's End. Uh, I don't see it going quite so smoothly in the books as a simple naming and send him off to the Stormlands so he's never been or met anyone or knows anyone. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Especially since they all actually know a different Robert Raffian bastard. And if mm. we're going to start legitimizing one, why not the other? And it all gets a bit complicated. Um, so maybe he needs someone who does know the Stormlands and does know the Stormlords. He's been paired with our favorite uh, vegetable knight in the show. <laughs> don't, don't really see them uh, crossing paths in the books probably, but maybe they do. And maybe that's how he gets down there, but definitely not so simple as it's happened mm. this time around. But interesting though, going by our law of conservation of characters, if we, you know, if we're talking about Edric storm, he is also, you know, closely tied to Davos in the books. So, you know, this could be a, a hint at what's coming more mm. for Edric. Oh yeah. yeah. Good yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. It's a great point to, to, mentioned that there's a lot of Robert's bastards and they definitely bent things around with, with again, the law of conservation of characters to give Gendry a role, the roles of several of those bastards. So that's a good point. I think that Davos and Gendry as a pairing at the end also is something I hadn't thought about. That's a great idea. You're right that Gendry has no clue about the Stormlands. <laughs> Davos was very capable to Stannis and John, and that would be a perfect epilogue for him. So if he lives, well, he's got a job, and almost that almost makes him more likely to live. They have a very easy job to give him. So I don't know. Uh, meta reasons, I'm, I feel slightly better about Davos' survival chances now. <laughs> and he is a survivor. He really is. So if we think about it now, it's funny thinking about the way this could go in the books is is much more complicated. But right now on the show, if you really think about it, Gendry is kind of the open air to Danny right now. Uh, obviously, if you take Cersei out of out of the, uh, the picture because she is currently on the Iron Throne, you can't really claim the Iron Throne while she's on it. But because n- right now, John's secret is still a secret. Well, it's information according to Varys, but the information hasn't become known widely yet. So. Right now, Gendry is like, hey, if I were to just, if he were to just turn around and just kill all three of them right there, <laughs> he could be, I'm king now. I'm the Baratheon. <laughs> we're the closest related to the Targaryens. Ha ha. Didn't see that coming, did you? There's the twist ending we all, uh, none of, none of us saw coming. That we all need. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, yeah, a little more on uh, some of these things later, but let's talk about the next pairing. And Lady Gwen, talk to us about San San. Yeah, um, I won't go on and on and on because, you know, I, you might expect from me i have a lot of thoughts about this <laughs> i but we you know we talked about it last week and i'm i'm happy that we got some kind of interaction or resolution they really had to do it because you know book stuff aside it's been it had been set up in the show that there was there was a connection between them and it was sweet on you know on some levels it was it wasn't everything i ever wanted but um it what I found interesting about it is the way they highlighted the, the thing they did well. They highlighted how Sandor is really plagued with guilt over not saving her when he left King's Landing and not taking her with him. And you get in the scene, Sansa really, I mean, just with very few words and a, a gesture, she puts her hand on his. She absolves him from that guilt so that he can go on to continue to conclude his unfinished business with mm. his brother so um to tie this into the books you see when sandor's with Arya in um in this in the riverlands uh and they find out that you know they hear the story of what happened to joffrey uh he says um oh the little bird flew away did she well bloody good for her she shit on the imp's head and flew off so he's you know he's happy that she got away of course he hasn't yet found out what might and neither have we what might happen to her after that uh and but later on he indicates you know in this very sandor-esque way what his level of real guilt and inner rage is when he says to aria privately i should have taken her and he says i should have taken her and done bad things with her but basically what he's saying is i he should have taken her by force out of king's landing to get her out of that situation rather than leave her for the imp or for you know for whatever her fate ended up being yeah it's it's very much guilt there's a lot of guilt there yeah yeah so i I feel i did feel good at least about that that he that he got to have that absolved and you know sansa said it's okay yeah Yeah. what did you think joe yeah i was glad we finally got i think we were getting a little worried that they were just going to bypass it completely so uh, good job that we did. Um, yeah, great take by Lady Gwyneth as almost a pairing with the same thing that he saw with Aya, where she's changed so much from what he knew, and now so is Sansa. She can look at him and touch him and all these things where she couldn't before. Um, and it's just one of the great what-ifs of the series, really, probably more so in the books than the show. I think their relationship was more important in the books uh, than we ever got to in the show. Um, just to think what could have happened to Sansa if she had gone with him. It's endless question, really. You could think of any number of answers. But also, it's, it's interesting that Sansa is kind of seeing past her own demons and using them as uh, she had to go through all that to be uh, the Lady of Winterfell that she is now. Uh, just, I wonder if we'll get her doing the same thing in the books obviously we hope that she doesn't have to travel the exact same road she did in the show but if that's how she eventually deals with all the stuff that's happened to her it'd be interesting to see yeah and yeah like you guys said the they talked about ramsey and it's is i can't remember him laughing uh i'm maybe a one or two times where he did but he actually laughed at the at the notion of hounds ending ramsey (laughs) and i really i'm not sure that he's i cannot it's like the hound laughed that's that's really notable (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so 
that's yeah that's a, a reasonable resolution and uh, expect for you know as far as tv show expectations for handling sansa sandor this is probably a pretty reasonable expectation for what we actually got mm-hmm. uh but talking about something more painful talking about painful things jamie and brienne whew, it's part of the reason it's so painful is it's you know george probably told them this is what's happening you know obviously the it's going to go down differently the nuance will be different but as far as the like the general overall concept of Jamie just eventually leaving Brienne to go back to Cersei that feels like it could happen and it sucks but not in mm-hmm. a this is bad writing way in a damn that's tragic <laughs> kind of way like that's good writing but ouch kind of way so uh lady gwen go ahead well um just a couple of things i i was reminded of of Jamie's dream from a storm of swords where, where Brienne is with him underneath casterly rock and he looks at her and in his dream he thinks in this light she could almost be a beauty in this light she could almost be a knight and so early on i uh, you know i was the thought well she's become both of those things especially when he says whatever he said never slept with a knight before Um, (laughs) and definitely made me think of that quote because you know she's she's fulfilled both of those things really Mm. um but as far as what you were saying I think in the books, yeah, if it happens like this in the books, it will be far more acceptable because we will have, and we'll, I think we're going to talk more about this later on, but we'll have their point of view, their inner thoughts, and you're going to have a lot more nuances and, you know, sort of idea of what their, what the motivations are, you know, so uh, rather than just this rapid fire departure that, yeah. left us probably all as broken as Brienne. So. Yeah, and that's a that's a really good point. And I'm gonna, I have a long section like a diatribe. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go off in a little bit about <laughs> about that perspective, about the book versus show and how scenes like this come out differently. And it's not even a complaint about the show or it's just to, you know, talk about the differences. But I also want to mention, since you mentioned uh, Jamie and Brienne and, and not sleeping with the night and all that are my favorite, the pun of the week award goes to Twitter user uh, Plujonium, which implies a talent with wordplay already, who says that their encounter was not a uh, it was not what you think. It was wait for it. It was a two night stand. Mm. Oh, yeah. You, you see what he did there. Okay. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, Joe, you know, I just talked about Sandor laughing, but Brienne laughed, too. And that's also not so common, is it? No, it was uh, so sweet and yet so bitter, wasn't it? The whole the whole story of these two. Um, I think in the books, we probably maybe see Brienne get a little drunk, but we definitely don't see her as happy as we had in this scene. It was a real treat seeing... Uh, Gwendolyn Christie make these faces and there's one with ale kind of bubbling out of her lips as she's smiling at Tyrion and this, it was brilliant stuff and then we kind of get the complete opposite when we see her break down and cry later on so they give it to us and they take it away they really what they do. like to do yeah that's a, that's a good way to put it and so quickly and that's the thing later you're saying lady gwen you know it's not going to be they get together in one chapter then the next chapter they're done you know that it's going to take more time than that <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of the equivalent here uh so 
I do. So are we kind of in agreement? This is not unlikely to happen in the books, obviously not weighing in on the differences, but the, this, the high points, is, is there any disagreement there? No. Guess not, not from me. No. Yeah. No. Now here's another twist though. We, we hear now in the show, a people, a lot of people wanted, hoped that Jamie was saying what he needed to say to keep Brienne from following, to, to keep her back. In other words, to save her from putting herself at risk. In other words, they wanted to see it somehow as selfless, which, you know, that's a reasonable take. But uh, from Nikolai Costa or Waldau's thoughts on, from his interview, uh-uh, no, it's not. That's not what's driving him. It doesn't mean he's not going to change his mind. It doesn't mean he's not going to kill Jamie or I mean, kill Cersei. Or himself, he can kill Jamie. <laughs> but it still begs the question whether or not his intent was to keep Brienne from following. That doesn't matter. That doesn't actually impact whether or not she's going to. She still might follow, regardless of what his intent is. So that's a question, and it's a it's a way for her to get back in the story because right now she's just chilling at Winterfell with Sansa. And if she goes after Jamie, then she'll be involved. And if she doesn't, I don't know what she's going to do. So mm. both of y'all, uh, Joe, you first. Do you think maybe Brienne heads south after him and gets involved in the final battle stuff? Uh, Stephanie would be my guess. Yeah, I think uh, if his intent was to protect her and keep her away, not a particularly good game strategy, especially with a capable knight like Brienne. She might just ride you down out of pride and bring you back. Um and yeah, like you said, I don't know really what else she could do otherwise. I could see there being a conversation with Sansa about her having protected uh, Sansa and Aya. So maybe she gets released formally from the oath, or maybe should they even swing it that she is following Aya to go and protect her. So there's a few avenues she could get there. I didn't think about that. What do you think, Lady Gwen? Yeah, I mean, pretty much the same. It, it, let's just say it would be a real shame if if she doesn't, because... Um, I think it would be a waste to not have Brienne somehow involved in, you know, in the denouement. But um, she's obviously would have to have that conversation with Sansa because she takes her oaths very seriously in her promises. So she's not going to just take off kind of the way Jamie did or even the way Arya did. Uh, She would have to be kind of formally released. So to see if that happens, I would expect it would have to happen early in episode five. Right on. Okay, next pairing is Tyrion and Davos. Start us off, Lady Gwen, there. I found this really an interesting conversation because Davos is having this, like, meta existential crisis. He's he's kind of saying what's on all of our minds, in a way. He's like, what was this war for? But, you know, like, we fought your war, Relore. We defeated the others. Yeah, we survived and humanity survived, but really what happens? He says he just fucked off. Where where (laughs) is Sly and the family stone when you need them? (laughs) (laughs) Jeez, yeah. What was that good for? (laughs) Absolutely nothing. Nothing, right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) R'hllor. Say it again. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Joe? <laughs> we're, we need someone who's not being silly to weigh in. <laughs> oh, I'm not the choice. Um, <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> I think uh, I think he had a point. To be fair, um, you know, he's probably he might have seen more of the uh, Relor, the Red God's influence over the years. So he's got a right to wonder if he's going to show up again. Is he going to ask something different of them soon? As is he done? Um, it'd be really interesting in the books where we might get a bit more time to discuss these kind of things. And if we get an after uh, the other's threat, 
was Relor like Melisandre? Was is it, was his whole purpose to defeat Night King, the Great Other, whoever, and is now no longer in existence? Is the duty done? So it'd be quite interesting to see if we do ever get to an actual after point in the books. Yeah, if we ever, Definitely. if we see, if we saw some ash raining down from the sky, we'd be like, was that? Was that Relor just <laughs> doing what Melisandre just by did? wave, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would have that same confusion that we had in the, in the Danny's vision in the throne room. Is that snow or ash? It's coming from <laughs> the sky. It, it, snow makes more sense, but it kind of looks like ash. Well, speaking of that, we're pretty sure it's ash now. <laughs> yeah. That that conundrum got resolved, I think. Uh, we have yet to see it fully, but we're on our mm-hmm. way. It won't be long now. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so Tyrion and Bran. Um, yeah, Lady Gwen, you got a lot of thoughts on this one. I, I want to hear you go off on this. I like what you wrote here. I did. I th- You know, when Bran... They were just talking and having their Tyrion and Bran chat. And, you know, I still wonder what they talked about last week or week before, whenever it was. But uh, here, Bran says to Tyrion, I live mostly in the past now. And I found that really very chilling because remember that he's the last green seer now. You know, in the books, that was supposed to be uh, Brendan Rivers, Blood Raven. But really, he's give, he's passing on his mantle to Bran. So Bran is the last green seer. And in A Dance with Dragons, Bran um, goes exploring in a place where he's not supposed to go. And he finds uh, a kind of hall underground, another sort of sub cave deep down. And this one is full of singers enthroned like Brynden in nests of weirwood roots that wove under and through and around their bodies. Most of them looked dead to him, but as he crossed in front of them, their eyes would open and follow the light of his torch, and one of them opened and closed a wrinkled mouth as if he were trying to speak. So kind of, you know, thinking that's the fate of a green seer, and we know what uh, Blood Raven is in the books, uh, this is very, this is a very sad ending for Bran, if that is what he's going to become. And I... And, and especially if he knows that is his fate, right? Mm-hmm. I also want to say that for the first time, I realized how reminiscent these green seers are of the undying ones mm-hmm. um, that Danny comes across in Karth. And if I just read the brief description of them, it says uh, through the indigo murk, she could make out the wizened features of the undying one to her right, an old man wrinkled and hairless. His flesh was ripe violet blue. His lips and nails bluer still. Uh, it says even the whites of his eyes were blue. They stared unseeing at an ancient woman on the opposite side of the table whose gown was of pale silk had brought it on her body. And it notes that, you know, none of them can really talk. They're all just sort of in this, almost they talk to her but they're barely they're barely alive she thinks yeah that's a good that's a great point i mean i've 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 noticed that some of those similarities before certainly people have noticed the similarity between their trees their blue black trees and and the weirwoods mm -hmm. but i never really caught the one detail i didn't catch before now is that the, the the barely speaking whispering part that's that just makes it all even a little extra adds a little five percent more chilling (laughs) up the chill factor (laughs) um joe what do you think here this is lady Gwyn had some great thoughts but you had some uh, some different ones too i think chilling is definitely the word uh you have the the party going on the revelry and then there's bran just reminding you he's got this horrible life to live uh he's still young he's still 
preteen teenager maybe he does know you know if he gets to Eamon's age or something and he has this whole life of not actually living um i i really did want brand's storyline to come up again if the night king came back or the white walkers doesn't look like that's going to happen i've made my made my piece of that but it does just make it even more tragic that he's served if he knows he's got just had this one purpose and that's done um what else is there links back into davos again um Mm. and it's just got me on this line of thinking that maybe the stark children's destinies um they do talk about destiny in this episode a bit is just tragedy we've said about sansa we see io going off and not wanting to come back and we all know about john um and obviously we've already had rob and rick on so yeah maybe it does tie in with that whole thing of um yeah they're all just destined to not do very well and it would kind of be quite george-ish to have that subversion given that you know we open the book and the show with them being the happy family and that's not normally what happens to the main family so. <laughs> that's true and if we think if we think really deep as to what we might get into in the books with some sort of stark connection to the others it might be that the starks are part of that old world that has to die out for the new world to be born if they're you know part of this ancient magic that's maybe has to culture needs to move away from that the old gods have to be you know, they need they should stay the old gods and be forgotten because they're tied to this stuff that that brought the long night. And maybe part of the solution is is leaving all that behind in the end. And that might mean, yeah, that might tie to the Starks themselves. So, yeah, what a horrible thing to be stuck in the past when everybody else is trying to move forward. Uh, well, and speaking of um, being stuck, another the party not only turns a little sour by thinking about Bran, but Danny's moment. I'll start off with a question from Lady Ardross, and she says, what did you guys think about the parallel between the scene with John and Danny, where Danny talks about how they love John and that she used to have people looking at her like that? Thinking back to the scene between Viserys and Jorah, where he talked about how people love Danny during uh, the Dothraki, like no one had ever cheered for him. I did not catch that. That's a really nice parallel. Mm-hmm. Also, she says... Also, the scene between Sansa and Tyrion, where she asks him, what if there was someone else? And the scene between Danny and Jorah in season one, where Danny asks that regarding Viserys. And yeah, great. She says, I'm loving the callbacks and mirroring the end with the beginning. I am too. I think that's some in some places that's being lost in the shuffle amongst the complaints about expectations and other. And I'm not saying there aren't valid criticisms. I'm just saying that sometimes the criticisms drown out some of these fun, cool details that we that we miss because we're uh, we're angry. <laughs> we're, let's be honest. No one's at their most uh, intuitive and uh, aware and alert when they're angry. That's just uh, that's human. So now I'm going to get into this. This is where this is earlier when I said that I had a, a little bit of a diatribe prepared, and I think this is this is where I want to land this here. A lot of the consternation contributing to arguments and stuff is is related to some of these book-to-show concepts. And I don't mean plotting and expectations. What I mean is the nature of the medium. Shout out to Our Lady of Castle Carahelm, who really got at this topic really well on Twitter, and it got me thinking about it. It's just a it's a flaw of TV, not a, a flaw of the medium in so much that it doesn't have other great things about it, but the difference between it and the POV style, meaning... You can be really, really certain about someone's motivations when you're in their head. You get near absolute truth when you're in their head. 
because you see it. You get their clear motivations. You know for sure what they're thinking. In a show, when, using Jamie as an example, we don't know whether his motivation is to drive Brienne off to protect her or whether he's legitimately just wants to go back to Cersei and full of self-loathing or if it's somewhere in between. When that chapter happens in the books, whatever eventually, however it plays out, we'll have certainty or at least a lot more certainty. And yes, characters can lie to themselves, but we can see them lying to themselves in their head. It's still easier to tell if they're lying to themselves if we see into their head than versus if we don't. Sansa is a really perfect example of this as well. People who have not liked Sansa for a while can very easily look at the way she's behaved in this episode and the previous episodes and see negativity, see bad things. They can see scheming motivated by ambition. Some people think she's who who love Sansa are more on the side of she's motivated by concern for her family and the North. Honestly, I feel like the truth is probably somewhere in between. She's been traumatized by people who are major schemers, and she she's seen how that rules the world and how important it is to use those means of power to protect oneself and one's loved ones. But we'll know for sure if we see inside her head. You know, right now people are arguing because they interpret it their way and they don't have this baseline view into her real motivations into what's going on in her head and that would give us a lot more clarity and that would help i think cut off some disputes before they even happen because well we'll have more information in the first place so i'll step down off of that uh, soapbox <laughs> to say that i hope this is one way to maybe help us debate more and argue less you know uh <laughs> and again i use myself as an example i'm someone who argues a lot so i'm not some sort of uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not, not calling myself out too. Uh, Joe, uh, both of y'all let's weigh, weigh in on, on this point here and anything else you wanted to say about that, this general topic, Joe, go ahead. I think you hit a nail on the head. Um, I think it's probably one of those casualties of us only having six episodes in a season and seven the season before, because people just have a lot less room, um, a lot less patience to see what characters are up to. If this is season six or five, and their character is doing something they don't particularly like, there's a lot more room for them to eventually be proven wrong or see what the outcome is. Because we've mm. only got a couple of hours left, really, of the show, uh, people aren't so quick to forgive. So they want uh, they want direct answers, I guess. Yeah, quicker. good point. Mm. Lady Gwen? Yeah, I think, you know, as far as what fans bring to you know, what they see on the screen in, in the TV show. It's important to remember that people bring, you know, they bring their own experiences and their own preconceived notions. And it's, it's a lot harder to set those aside in this medium. Yeah. In, in books, like you said, you, you get a much more clear, not always crystal clear, but you get a more clear sense of uh, what the character is all about. And I want to add that I want to agree with you that Sansa is a great example because in the books we see increasingly in her point of view chapters that her inner thoughts don't match her 
words and actions. And we expect that this dissonance for book Sansa is going to increase as the books go on. So um, she's just the perfect example of looking at someone from the outside versus the inside. Yeah, she her courtesy is her armor, as she says, or a lady's courtesy right. is her armor. Well, being courteous is that's that's basically saying pretend to be something you're not. Just be really courteous and hide your real thoughts. So right there, we know <laughs> that right. her thoughts don't. It's like very much explained here. That's her thing. And more and more, she's like in her head, though, she's like, oh, you're not my real father. The little finger. And, you know, you, you see more of this stuff in you're her head. Right. And you're like, whoa. She, yeah, it's very different. It's so it's, it's yeah. So I really wanted to get into that. And there's and Danny and Cersei. It's a similar thing, too, because there's a lot of arguments about how Danny is starting to look a lot more like Cersei. And I can't disagree. She is starting to look more like Cersei. But that doesn't mean that they're actually similar or uh, that they aren't very different in certain other fundamental ways. It's that they've had similar experiences and they've mm-hmm. it's it's taken them to similar places in terms of their personality. But for just for example, at this party, at the celebration, can you really imagine Cersei kicking back and just like drinking with everybody and having a good time? Like that's just one example of how that's not something you would point to to say this proves Cersei is worse than Daenerys. But it's just a, a simple example to point to very different parts of their personality and how they handle being highborn. And even though Danny is feels entitled to the throne almost as much or more than Cersei does in some ways, that doesn't mean she's willing to do the same things to get there. And even if she does, it still doesn't mean they're the same person. There's just a lot of this that comes down to the same matter of perception. And um, if we think about how this is presented, we just talk about the books giving us certainty and how valuable that is and how nice that is. Well, here's something I want to turn this on the other way and talk about how amazing this moment of Danny's uh, feeling her isolation was in the show and give them real unbridled critis- uh, praise here for how well that, that worked for me. Sean talked about it a lot on Monday and I want to echo some of his thoughts and say a few different things. It's it's the peak of what the show can do. It's because it had no dialogue. There's no words. It's completely the opposite of what a book can do. There's no, like I said, there's no words. I think you can read. I think you can, nothing like that that can translate to a book. It's the best parts of a show. You've got the slowed down perspective that really shows you what's happening, that gives you in a sense of what's going on in her head, that shows you the isolation, the music, and the acting. None of those things can be in a book. George can write this scene amazingly. I bet he will write it amazingly. He'll probably do all sorts of awesome stuff that we haven't been able to imagine and the way he puts it into words. But it's still going to be different than music and acting and camera work and cinematography. So it's like playing to your strengths. When the show plays to its strengths, it's great. And I wish it did more stuff like that, like that Danny moment. And it you know it gives us great cinematography. Likewise... You know, George, well, he knows his strengths. He's he's a veteran. And uh, yeah, Lady Gwen, <laughs> you had a thought on what we'll get. <laughs> One thing we'll get from this in the books. <laughs> a much better description of the food at the feast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we hardly got anything. The show didn't get, all they gave us was a little hidden uh, coffee cup or something. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Probably no Starbucks in yeah. in the books. But... Stark Bucks, I believe somebody Stark in, the, in the chat said. <laughs> I can't take uh, credit for that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, and, and playing to your strengths, going, going back to that concept, uh, it's a theme of this episode. Or, put another way, falling back on old habits, kind of 
going back to what you used to be. This These concepts kind of are well linked in this episode. You have Danny's isolation is leading her to be more dispassionate, more uh, maybe less human and more dragon. And if we recall, that is what Olena and Ilaria and Yara wanted her to do right off the bat. And other people talked her out of it. And what happened? Olena and Ilaria were kind of proven right. When Danny stopped listening to Tyrion after a series of failures and went full offensive, that's when we got the loot train battle, and that was a huge win. So not only is Danny emotionally driven to bring fire and blood, strategically it's proving to be more effective, which is kind of harsh and tragic, but hey, it's it's the proof is there. Ah, man, it's hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. Joe, what did you think about that? Yes, uh, it comes back to Tyrion a bit and his um, advice and when it's ignored and when it's been accepted. And it's, either way, it's not really worked out too well for him. It's kind of occurred to me that he's kind of looped back to where Ned was as hand, where it's the difference between you are a good hand or you're a good man being the hand. And you actually put Tyrion and Kyburn up against each other later and you can see which one's which. Yes. Definitely. We'll talk a bit more about Danny and Sunday later, but mm. you can see, you can definitely see where she's coming from. She's had all this frustration built up and she's basically completely alone. Now you can see why uh, she's on the road that she's now on. Apparently. Yeah. What about you, Lady Gwen? Any more thoughts on this? No, yeah, I basically agree with, with what you you guys are saying. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, and just an example of just a rundown of people falling back on old habits. Not all the habits are bad, but a lot of them are. Um, maybe most of them are. Jamie, obviously, going back to Cersei is the ultimate bad habit, really. Tormund going back north, that isn't a bad habit unless he goes back to raiding. I wonder about that. <laughs> John, there's no one in the north to raid right now, really. Um, John goes right back to fighting. Uh, that's, you know, kind of typical for him. Sansa's going on to scheming, politicking. Arya goes off a murdering. <laughs> Sander goes off for his final revenge. That's the main thing that's motivated him forever. Cersei goes ultra cruel, even worse than she was. Tyrion can't give up trying to reason with Cersei, even after all this. It's really, it's really sad that he just, he just keeps giving her a chance. Varys hates magic and talk of destiny and things like that, and that's freaking him out. And Euron, well, there's not a lot of personality there necessarily. He's just really good with surprise attacks. <laughs> just, that just keeps happening. And then we just, it's kind of a statement on all of humanity, isn't it, Joe? They they win this great war, and then they just turn on each other again. It's like, damn it, y'all. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. I, I keep, ever since uh, the episode, I keep coming back to this analogy of a, a bubble bursting. We had those two episodes um, before the battle where it was you know, essentially all Winterfell and all um, these characters coming together for one cause, and they did the cause. And now that's over and they've kind of all realized that they still have all these desires and motivations and things. And because there's so many of them and they're so interlinked, they obviously can't can't all have it. Uh, and more likely they'll get the opposite of what they want. So I think they're just coming to that realization and... Um, yeah, it's just kind of thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, we've actually still got to live our lives. I figured we will die. And living our <laughs> lives involves fighting each other. Well, yeah. wow, does it really I have to be that I remember what life way? is now, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, so this, uh, Lady Gwen, this is really kind of a setup for what the rest of the episode, isn't it? Just all this uh, yeah. infighting. Yeah, all this. So the, the final 
kind of pairing, you know, it's the conclusion, I guess, of the the feasting half of the episode is you, you see all these couples or whatever, and then you get John and Danny, which completely sets up the conflict that's going to happen, you know, later in the episode, uh, their scene together, which starts out like looking pretty good and then ends pretty badly. <laughs> ends so. pretty bad, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And Joe, you had some some thoughts on uh, John's isolation versus uh, his ability to handle what is probably now coming. Yeah, it's um, it's about John and and Daenerys both um, right. linking it back to Maester Aemon again. Um, in the show, he he's, uh, before he dies, he says about Targaryen being all alone, how terrible it is. He doesn't say that uh, specifically in the books, but he pretty much lays it out for Sam um, mm-hmm. on the Cinnamon Wind. Um, and we see Daenerys, I think we, it gets across what you're saying. The scene is so good that it gets across how lonely she feels in that one moment. Um, you feel loneliest in a crowd, it said, Mm. and she looks over and sees a family, the Lannisters being together again and laughing and sees John with his friends, uh, laughing again. Tormund's being extra loud with the, the man and the King talk. And Mm. she gets a little cheer for being queen, um, but then it gets kind of crushed by eyes chair fairly. But, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, fairly. <laughs> yeah, it just kind of it removes her from the. Lady Gwen, you take over. Looks like uh, Joe cut out briefly there. Okay. Uh, well, I was. Uh, we actually we touched on this earlier, but I, I, you know, going back to you know the reference to Aemon Targaryen in this scene, I was first of all I want to say I was impressed with Danny because she was she was quite honest and to the point at first with with John. You know, she she spoke her. She spoke, you know, what she was feeling there to him. Uh, and, you know, in terms of the, you know, John, you know, his his claim or hiding his claim or, you know, trying not to let anyone use it against him, which she points out they will do, it is very similar to Aemon Targaryen's reasons for taking the black. Not an exact analog, like we said earlier, but uh, he had to remove himself from the plotting. It's something that we know will happen whenever there's an alternate heir. Uh, If people are unhappy with the one monarch or heir, they're going to back the alternate. And, you know, it's, it's something that John in books will certainly be aware of. Because, you know, he had these conversations with Aemon Targaryen. So. Right on. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about Ghost for a minute. Um, in, it's a very, very different relationship for Ghost and John in the books. He's a real pet, you know, in the books. He's, uh, he's, he's John's comfort. He's a huge part of, of John's personality and his identity. And I acknowledge there's some serious challenges with real wolves and filming. But the show seems entirely unwilling to use workarounds and... And to spend on it, you know, it's it's fine. They keep saying, oh, we don't have the budget for it. We'd rather spend it on other things. But, you know, at some point, well, and I guess that point, it's too late now <laughs> that they could have spent some cash on giving us some of this. But, oh, well, yeah, it's a it's a good example of when people point to them selling out the show, selling out story for spectacle. Well, this is a pretty good example of that, uh, a very because it's a recurring one that they just keep not doing as yeah, some. And and you kind of understand why people are frustrated about that because almost everyone loves dogs and you want to see you want to see this yeah. real relationship portrayed. It's 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 authentic and and we yeah. just don't get it. So that's too bad. 
Uh, Lady Gwen, give us your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, Ghost is definitely one of the biggest things people are talking about, right? If, if you're on the internet, everyone is very, very irate about Ghost. Um, you know, the, David Nutter has weighed in on it and you know, we've we've seen these sort of yeah, oh, the budget and the green screen and the, the, there are definitely workarounds that could have been used. But okay, moving on from that, let's let's talk about Ghost and why he's important to John. He's been with John from the very beginning, the first chapter of the books, uh, the first proper chapter. You know, he's he's been his protector. He was in the early days in the night's watch. He was by his side, kind of protecting him from bullies. He helped him save Jor Mormont from the whited Jay for flowers. He was kind of his sidekick when John was with the wildlings, you know, making him more imposing and really kind of also being a protector again. He found the horn in the dragon glass cache, which is going to be very, could be very significant. And we'll talk maybe about that later or um in another episode uh you might be saving that for saturday yeah. uh he helped john decide to reject stannis's offer uh of winterfell the condition of which was you know reject the old gods uh so he basically saved the winterfell heart tree and if we're right about john's resurrection in the books um john might actually end up living in ghosts for a while so um there's a quote where it really i think really um it's in john's point of view him thinking about ghost as um as more than a friend, closer than a friend. He says ghost was part of him. So uh, really they're, they're just, you know, really parts of a whole. So did not beyond pets, you know, they're, yeah. they're so merged in the books and you came back at the right moment. <laughs> <laughs> we're right back to where you, yeah. So we were talking about, we were just talking about ghost and John. So uh what did you think about the this whole business? <laughs> uh, yeah, apologies for that. It's the first time it's ever rained in England. I don't know what happens. <laughs> <thinking. laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, Ghost. <laughs> he is a good argument that all this um, does actually kind of happen in the show. It's where my head cannons gone when we see John's resurrection um, and he's sleeping next to him. He has that little stir before John does come back. So there's obviously, it's not confirmed in the show and they're not going to do it now. But um, that's where I like to take my head that Ghost definitely had something to do with that and it wouldn't have worked without him. So, um, yeah, definitely. I was very, very not happy when uh, (laughs) John walked off. Uh, Again, you can ask my wife. I believe I cursed a bit. But um, (laughs) 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 I do... Uh, I do appreciate at least that they were in the show at all. Uh, they could have got rid of them a lot earlier on if they really wanted to. So I'm just, I'm just glad they didn't all die in like season four or five and yeah. be done with it. So at least we did see Ghost until the end. And at least, like you said earlier, he does get to go off to the uh, big animal sanctuary above the wall. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, this is Ranger Torment. You <laughs> mentioned like season four, four, five ish, and uh, so I wanted to point out this is kind of like the all right, we're all angry about ghosts, but um, putting aside all the you know the importance in the books, it's this isn't really a huge 
divergence from the show because Ghost did play a very large role in John's arc for the first four seasons, but it's gotten increasingly smaller. Um, in five and six, uh, he was there, still John's protector, but not as much. And then late in season six onwards, we see Ghost being kept away and it's it's framed as being for his own protection. John's keeping him kind of out of the line of fire, I guess, um, which gets getting back to the budgetary constraints because that happened kind of in sync with the dragons becoming more important. But uh, Ghost, there's another reason why Ghost leaves John uh, that is purposeful, I think, within the narrative of the show. This the separation feels very final to us and very very wrong. And I don't mean like the show is doing something wrong. I mean it feels like John is doing something wrong. Yes. Later on, Sans is going to say the uh, to I think to Tyrion, the men in our family don't do well in King's Landing. She, that comes back to this line from Ned in Game of Thrones. He tells Cat, "My father went south once to answer the summons of a king." He never came home again. And of course, same thing happens to Ned. And so they've planted this fear in us now. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, Melisandre warned John in A Dance of Dragons, you do well to keep your wolf beside you. And now here he is sending him away and going to King's Landing. Yep. So yep. maybe a bad <laughs> omen. I think we're supposed to be scared. I don't think it's necessarily what is going to happen, but we're supposed to be nervous. Yeah, I, I would agree with that full on. I think it mixes well with Tormund's last words to him about uh, having the real North in him. And I think this, that's kind of supposed to be a, a sales pitch to John. You've got your best friend who's happy with um, with Gilly. You've got your next best friend. You've got Ghost <laughs> literally staring at you, kind of beckoning, going, you, know, you could come this way. <laughs> and John even says um, that he wishes he could. So yeah. I guess we'll just always be... Uh, hoping that he had. Um, it just reminds me, like Lady Gwen said, about um, how the importance of the connection between these diables. It reminds me of Catelyn um, saying uh, to Rob that, about Grey Wind that he is a part of you. Um, to fear him is to fear you. And she gets more increasingly nervous as Rob sep- slowly separates from Grey, Rain, uh, Grey Wind um, when the Westlings come down as they go to the phrase. And it's got definitely got that kind of vibe to it that mm-hmm. John's being silly. Well said, guys. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just to add to that, a piece of humor <laughs> from I saw a comment from Dornish Dan who said that Ghost is having the call of the wildling. <laughs> yeah, Very good. right on. Some of this also has vibes that we may not see a lot of these characters again. Um, real quickly, yeah, Tormund and Ghost, we may not see again. We may not see Gendry again. We may not see Sam or Gilly again either. What do you guys think about that? It's a wor- kind of a different worry of the week. We're not worried they're going to die. We're not worried that was their last on screen appearance. Maybe they'll get like an epilogue y kind of thing, but you think that's it for them? Or what do you think, Joe? I would be I'm most surprised about Sam. Uh, you would think he's been so central right from the beginning. You would think that he would still have some figure in the final plot. He's not really had as much as we thought he would do in the last season um, with Bran and John. I think you're right. They will probably give him some kind of final shot in the last episode, maybe Gillian, new baby or something. At least we could be happy that 
they both got a happy ending because they do mm-hmm. deserve it. And uh, House Tarly lives on, so right on. not all bad. Maybe that's they'll be true. going to take the reach from Bron. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a that's a developing situation. Okay, yeah. cool. Well, um, we are moving through uh, at a reasonable pace here, but we had so much we wanted to cover here, and there's a lot of questions built up. So let me do a quick, a couple. Uh, let me do some uh, quick wrap up on some quick topics, and then we'll get to these questions, and then get to a lot more of topics that we've laid out here. Yeah, we're at an hour fifteen. Right on. So I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Studio Sweden. I'm wearing their headphones. These are really nice. These are the new version, the Regent Two. I used to wear the Regent One. And those were all black. I went for the, uh, the the hobby horse version this time. They are available in white, black, and uh, horsey. St- standard three-type combo there, right? <laughs> white, black, and horsey. These things last. They have 24-hour battery life. And I like I said, they're my main headphones. I use them regularly. I use them for climbing. So they stay on my head really well. I use them for recording. I use them for this live stream. Really, pretty awesome. And you can get them. Uh, you can go to our website. There's a link on the right. and Or you can just go straight to Studio Sweden and use the code Westeros15 to get 15% off. Shay, I suggest I hold them up to the camera right here. Get a good look at them. Horsies. Yes, I have horsies on my head. It's, it's, uh, it, it relates to my, uh, my love for bitter steel. <laughs> also, to our sponsor, Flick, who's who's got uh, a wonderful chat app it's for phone smartphone only and we launched it uh, on monday and we've gotten some discussion started we're talking about what might happen for episode five we love our facebook group it's you know it's a different look for people who want to respond use a different sort of app situation it's a little more like twitter i think it's a good replacement for twitter i think it's a companion for facebook more of a replacement for twitter it's less toxic we have the discussions are controlled. There's no trolling. There's, uh, yeah, it's just a little nicer in there, I think. So we're going to try to build that up and, and, and see how that goes. You can join us through the link that's in our show notes and you can ask questions, respond to questions. It's, it's pretty fun. Also, shout out to our Ironborn Captain patrons. Let's give them a quick shout if I can find them on our page here here we go black matto storm rider captain of the rusted hinge who we got to hang out with at ice and fire con oisan the wanderer captain of naga's living flame sir selvas Redblade of white harbor captain of trident of the north lord chuck laws captain of the droman nightblood destroyer of evil also was at ice and fire con john gregor captain of the fist of the drowned god sir kiron of lonely light scourge of the sunset sea captain of naga's breath a droman armed with siphons of wildfire aileen archer queen captain of the border collie Crimson Kate, Captain of the Drowned Queen's Vengeance. Jasana the Just, Collector of Tolls, Captain of the Golden Gift. Lord Mitch of House Bailey, Captain of the Widow's Blood. His heir is Lordling Mason of House Bailey. Beneath the Gold, a podcast focusing on lesser-known Song of Ice and Fire characters. And Phantom of House Physics, the Sunset King, Plato Oplomo, Captain of Leviathan's Banshee. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. Uh, as Ashea has indicated, we have a lot of questions built up, so let's tackle those. Some of these will refer to some other topic we've already got planned, so we'll kill two birds with one stone in a few places here. From Lindsay Carlson, hey guys, just joined, but thank you for being the only people who noticed the Game of Thrones Troy parallel. When Tyrion walked up to the walls of King's Landing, I was literally screaming, Hector! Yeah, yeah, that was fun. It's really neat. I love that. I uh, love that shot of Tyrion looking up. It was very intimidating, beautiful cinematography. And yeah, since uh, I forget which of them it was, which of Dave and Dan worked on the movie Troy or wrote the screenplay. Yeah, I'm sure they were thinking that too. Um, Karen Sita says, as a San San fan, if you mute the scene, you can enjoy the eye acting from Rory McCann and Sophie Turner. <laughs> well, those are two great actors. So yeah, I would have to believe that's true. Uh, Joseph Michael Holland says, I listened to Radio Westeros' Sandor episode while walking my own mad hound yesterday. Both dogs ran away without asking this week. So his dog and Sandor both ran off without asking. Well, Lady Gwen, <laughs> uh, anything to say about that? Your Sandor episode is quite excellent. Yeah, we had a lot of great guests. We did that in uh, collaboration with our um, friends over at the from the Ponda Player Project who were doing a Sandor reread. And I actually do have something to say about that, which you didn't even know, but I'm glad it came up. Uh, our friend Milady of York uh, has just approached me about uh, having us host a brand new essay about Sandor. So that's going to be forthcoming. So if you're interested in Sandor or Pond Player and their past works, uh, keep an eye out for that because we'll be hosting a, a new essay all about Sandor pretty right soon. On. Cool. Yeah. From Real Chunka, does Tyrion slash Jamie have either the authority or clout with Danny to give Bronn one of the prime properties in the realm? And of course, he points out that Bronn shot her dragon, so that might make it a little bit difficult. Uh, well, maybe she doesn't know that was Bronn. <laughs> you know, did she get a great look at him? I'm not sure. There's always that, maybe, to avoid that problem. But the one problem here is that Jamie switched sides after that scene. So that throws a whole uh, monkey wrench in it. I believe Tyrion does. I mean, he, uh, you know, Danny could say no, but he definitely has the authority. He is hand of the queen, you know, other than going directly to Danny, going to her hand is the best second uh, option there. Do you guys have anything to add to that? Or did I miss anything? Or is that basically it? Do you have any other thoughts on Bronn and, and da Daenerys, how that might go? Yeah, I don't think Danny was going to be too impressed with Bronn, mm -hmm. but, <laughs> but but I figure I guess I expect it'll probably become a non-issue by the end of the mm. <laughs> by the end. I don't uh, I don't think they do have the authority, but neither do I. And I would say I did if I had a crossbow <laughs> pointing at me. So I get that point. Yeah, <laughs> that's the best answer. Okay, yes, <laughs> that's the best answer mm -hmm. from Cannibal Sands. So can Bran still ride a horse? Love what you do. Well, he can borrow my headphones if he wants, but, uh, you know, he should be able to ride a horse if he were to have that saddle rebuilt. I don't see why not. I mean, he's 
maybe it would need to be a bigger version of it because he's a bigger person than he was then. But mm-hmm. you know, that's a good point. He doesn't have to ride the wheelchair around these days. He could ride around on a horse if he wanted to. Maybe he just mm-hmm. doesn't want to. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I had a, a Twitter joke that I just have to share. Uh, Daenerys says, I will break the wheel. Bran says, I will have nowhere to sit. (laughs) (laughs) If she she goes insane and truly goes mad queen and comes for his wheels, then we'll really, that'll be the sign that something's gone truly wrong. (laughs) You're a really terrible person. (laughs) Yeah, I'll I'll be all on team Danny's gone bad guy. If she starts smashing wheelchairs, that's that's pretty bad. Come on, Danny. (laughs) That's not the wheel you meant. Couple of, <laughs> a couple of super chats from Carl Verhurst. Thank you, Carl. Uh, and Danica Erasmus. There were no chat, no uh, chats or questions attached to that. The Dude Von Dude. Monica Sanders. DTS. Could uh, Brand's words suggest he can no longer see the future or have visions? Or maybe he's just yet to get one this season from him. Yeah, that is interesting. I wonder if... I think that's something the book will be able to explore with more nuance because we'll get his point of view. But right now, it's just kind of... They have to just have him tell us what is going on in his head uh, with his powers, which how do you put that into words when no, but no human being even can conceptualize it in the first place. So it's a big challenge for the medium here. Um, I think it's something that'll be much more satisfying in the books, even though, and and George admits it's a huge challenge. Brand's chapters are his hardest uh, Mm -hmm. or among his hardest. So what do y'all think about that? This is a magical topic. So it's, it's it's open Mm -hmm. to a lot of interpretations. Lady Gwen, do you have any thoughts on, on, on that? Just that um, as far as seeing the future, that seems to be kind of like less, especially even in the show where he says, you know, basically indicates he's he's like humanity's hard drive, right? I mean, he just, he's got all the memory of humanity. So I think the, the green seer aspect does seem to be more strongly focused on, uh, on the past, mm. on, you know, on how the past relates to, the present, although increasingly, I think what happens with the green seer that, that we see for, in the books is that increasingly they lose touch with the present and there go probably the future too, is they mm. just become kind of wrapped up in this vast, you know, imagine everything that's ever happened. Mm. Good point. All right. Um, from Vampris 99, if Brienne goes south, you think she'll have Podrick stay to protect Sansa? <laughs> That would be an interesting compromise there in terms of fulfilling that, keeping that duty and, uh, yeah, uh, and wanting to protect Jamie or, or going after him. And she continues to question, in terms of how, how Stark continues, could it be through Sansa and Podrick? Oh. Well, Podrick is awfully appealing to women, apparently. So uh, <laughs> if she could hear that singing voice, you know, that might uh, – I'm not so she's so big on songs anymore, but, you know, right. maybe Podrick mm. could move her a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Any thoughts on that, uh, Joe? <laughs> I definitely, I've not thought of that before, but I'm definitely a fan of it now. <laughs> Anything that gets more Podrick on my screen, well, it sits right with me. She just Pasta? has to, yeah. She, <laughs> sans pod. Sans pod. Pods, uh, yeah. <laughs> Sanric. 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 Little did we know that she was foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what her name has meant all this time, and we didn't know it. <laughs> Yeah, the one thing pa- Sansa might have to get past is that if it's Illin Payne who killed her father right in front of her, she may have to. Podrick may have to not emphasize that family. He's like, yeah, he's a distant cousin. He's really, I, I never liked him, you know. Pod Stark. Pod Stark. <laughs> nice people are people are saying that already, huh? Yes, yeah. nice. <laughs> that's awesome. 
Uh, Dornish Dan. Wormsy lives only for revenge. In what form? Kill as many as possible to get to Cersei or be laser focused on getting to Cersei? Joining Arya, Jaime, Danny, and Tyrion. Yeah, there's a lot of people who are really focused specifically on Cersei and not much else. Uh, and of course, I like the nickname here, Wormsy for a gray worm Wormsy. here. Yeah, uh, he is... It's hard to say for sure because Masande's death was the final seconds of that episode, but he was already in great uh, dire straits um, emotionally after her capture. He knew in his heart probably that, you know, Cersei and Euron, that's that's not... You don't get hostages back from them very easily. So, uh, yeah, I, I think he'll be pretty laser focused. It could be his own undoing uh, if he if he goes in a little too hard. But I hope he gets to survive all this and, and you know... Uh, although if he dies in battle, at least he won't have to live with all the trauma. And yeah, it's hard to say. It's it's, it's almost impossible for Grey Worm to have a happy ending. He just can have a like get accomplish some goals before he goes or accomplish some goals before he retires. I mean, he doesn't have a home to go to. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's hard to it's hard. It's hard to, to see to ha- look at that and, and see good things. What do you all think? Um, Joe, what do you think? Uh, well, my darling wife had a nice theory that uh, Grey Worm would survive and then would go to Narf to protect Narf in uh, Masande's memory. Oh, that is a nice thought. A bit too nice for <laughs> the show. But yeah, it would be good if he did do that. Only I do think he's got to take a number if he wants to get to Cersei. To him, to sit in the waiting room. <laughs> Only to him to die of butterfly fever, yes. right? Yeah, like, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go to Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> um, so Mod Mary asks, could Sansa's unreasonable hatred of Danny be because she's a queen and not a king that Sansa could marry and become a queen? Um, probably not. I don't know that. Uh, I think Sansa is just seen too many things from leaders and, and doesn't trust the Iron Throne and doesn't trust so many of these things she's seen. It just her perspective is uh cynical but realistic i think and she's seeing she's aware of a lot of the ways that power corrupts people and that people lie to themselves about their own intent and how love corrupts uh people in terms of doing their duty and someone's got to stand up for those things and it kind of makes her look like a bad guy sometimes but i'm not i'm not convinced that she hates danny i think she just has legitimate concerns that Tyrion and Varys kind of discussed awkwardly, but, uh, you know, there's truth there that she is starting to see common folk as uh, collateral damage, and that's not good. That's not cool. So, I don't know. Uh, Follow-up question from B1, Mary. Why does Sansa mistrust and dislike Danny? Honestly, I have no clue. So, it's kind of getting into the same topic. Well, let's uh, let's let me let someone else weigh in here, Lady Gwen. Well, what's your take? Why do you think Sansa mistrusts Danny? Like, if we get really get into it, well, she mistrusts her because look, look, everything the North has been through, and and she she says it right out. We you know we fought for for the North. We took ourselves out of the Seven Kingdoms. We swore we would never be in that position again because things have not gone well for the Starks in the North, really. Um, especially recently is, is part of the seven kingdoms. So she is mistrustful of Danny because Danny comes in and wants to, you know, drag them back into it. And she's really taking, not taking no for an answer. She's not allowed John to keep his autonomy. She drove this bargain where John had to bend the knee. That's 
the root of it, isn't it? I mean, you know, from Sansa's point of view, Danny forced John uh, to do something that he didn't want to do necessarily. And Sansa certainly didn't want him to do in order to have her help in this war. So it's really a mistrust. I don't see it as a unreasonable hatred necessarily. I think she's just doesn't really trust her yet. She hasn't, she's a very good judge of character. Mm -hmm. We'll say that for Sansa. And there's a bunch of times in this episode where she's a good judge of other things too. And kind of wish people would give her more credit. (laughs) And she hasn't, and to be fair too, Sansa hasn't seen like, and this is what Danny starts to point out a bit kind of alludes to is that they cheered her in Slaver's Bay, but Mm. they saw all her, they saw her good deeds over there. Whereas Sansa hasn't seen Danny, the breaker of change. She just, she's just heard about that. It's just a term that's thrown around and she wasn't there for it. None of the Northerners were there for it. And, yeah, these people, the Westerosi, the Northerners, haven't been witness to to Danny's good deeds. They they see her as well, Aegon the Conqueror with teats. Uh, to, to quote the <laughs> quote the books there, uh, from Johnny Cash, Sansa pimping out girls, a touch of Littlefinger. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chris Trombley, thoughts on parallels to Damon Blackfire when Tyrion was talking to Varys about discussing treason regarding John having a better claim and potentially being a better ruler over Danny. Yes, I was thinking the same thing. Shout out to our friend Patrick Doherty. Blood Raven shot first shirt that I'm wearing that he made in advance of our uh, Blackfires versus Targaryens panel at Ice and Fire Con. I've got another thought on uh, a parallel, uh, maybe not a parallel, but something I noticed that seems a little similar to something that happened in the Blackfire Rebellions. Yeah, it's it's very familiar. The idea was that Blood Raven came to arrest Damon Blackfire because he got wind of his attempt to uh, that he was going to plan to rebel and Fireball rescued him and they ran off and started their rebellion. Well, Patrick's theory might be that uh, Damon wasn't planning on rebelling and maybe there was just some talk and there wasn't any real movement to it. But once they tried to arrest him for it, well, if he's accused of of treason and they're going to execute him, well... Might as well go for it, then. If you're going to make me a traitor, then I'm going to be a traitor. If you're going to say I'm going to try to claim the cl- crown, then I'm going to do it. Well, cl- cl- I almost said claim the clown. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, he can claim that, too. You get to have your, you get to name your court jester when you're king. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's a strong one. Any any other thoughts on that, y'all? Did you have anything to add about Damon Blackfire parallel here? No, it basically... Cool. Yeah, it was there. <laughs> <laughs> it was. From Thomas Pappas, don't spend it all in one place. All right, we won't. We'll spread it around. Uh, coffee for everyone. Cookies for everyone. Little plastic <laughs> dragons for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> From Dave Brennan, longtime fan of your channel. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Dave. Sir Matthew of the House Begonius, do they do Ghost dirty because he's going to be sacrificed in the books to raise John, similar to the attempt to bring back Kyle Drogo? Ooh. Yeah, I wonder about that. If 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 bringing John back involves, you know, if, I, I agree with the theory that there's a good chance John will be inside Ghost for the whole second life business. Having to kill Ghost to bring him back out of there, that's possible. But um, I don't know. How do y'all feel about that? Is that just one of those theories that's just too hard to to think about, <laughs> too hard to agree with because it's too painful, or does it ring like it ring it has some ring of truth to it? Um, I mean, I. Yeah, uh, it is painful. I I wonder like how it would work because if John's in Ghost, I mean, if you kill Ghost, 
then you kill John. So there's just kind of like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's tough. Hmm. The way yeah, I see I... it going is he's just in him and now and then he comes out, but I just, <laughs> like, it's magic. <laughs> <How> do... <laughs> <It's> not... <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to King's Landing. We got a lot more to cover and not a lot of time. Uh, the a showdown that results in the destruction of King's Landing, you know, we, that's that's something that's foreshadowed in book and show. But I know one thing I never really thought about was how bad it could go for Danny and her armies. You know, right now the things are in the book. It almost looks like she has this is overwhelming strength. She has the dragon. She has the Dothraki. She has maybe like a horde of Relorists coming as well, which we don't see in the show, but quite possibly will happen in the books. And just so much, right? And Westeros is fighting itself. They're all tearing each other apart. She's coming in. Looks like she's coming in really strong. But, you know, if if she's after fighting in the long night and, and losing a lot of army, could it makes sense that there'd be all this diminishment of, of uh, you know, something more than we lost half. Well, we lost half. So did we. We all lost half. How about that? How nice and neat. <laughs> Very nice and neat. <laughs> yeah. It'll probably be a lot more harsh. That's something that's really being rushed in the show or has already been rushed is the long term effects of winter and the slow, the slow burn of the cold to use a temperature pun there but we've addressed that already we need we don't need to beat that dead horse so joe you had a couple thoughts on this too maybe things that might go differently but also i want to hear if y'all have any thoughts on on... i definitely i I agree with you i thought uh it definitely looked like they lost more than half to be honest (laughs) definitely especially the dothraki they had like five left by what i saw yeah um like you say it's just a casualty of the way the show is set up that we can't really spend time on uh, logistics and even though Sansa does bring up fatigue and that they've got to travel, it's not really going to play too big a role. Um, I know you guys have said before, and I've said the same thing that you know the lack of food and what they've been warring for so long that there's no harvest. That's all going to have a big effect whenever the uh, the battle does eventually come to King's Landing. Um, what I was actually wondering is they've obviously made a lot of. Uh, dragon defenses on the city walls. We've seen them the, all there, the gigantic uh, crossbow type thingies. Um, but I want to see if Tyrion in the books is involved in the attack on King's Landing because I just want to be in his uh, POV and him using that knowledge of the city, all the defenses he prepared for the Blackwater um, and see if he can use those, use those to his advantage. Right on. Good said. Or, or good said. Well said. What good is going said. on here? <laughs> good said. Good word. <laughs> you use your mouth words good. Uh, Lady Gwen, take it away before I butcher another sentence. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm basically, I just want, I want to agree that I think... Um, it seemed a lot worse than half. I mean, they obviously looked like Dothraki and Unsullied were fairly decimated, but they did a very neat job of making that map look like the two forces are now equal, which is interesting. Mm. Um, because, yeah. uh, you know, Danny, I mean, uh, Cersei basically has the Golden Company and not a lot else because all the other regions have either been kind of decimated um we don't really know what's going on in the riverlands and the reach is you know they defeated the reach and the rest of them are all kind of with danny so it's kind of i i guess just made to look equal i mean so 
Danny's army's being decimated in the books, I would imagine is a pretty fair bet if she if this is the way it plays out. I, yeah. I think it'll be a lot more realistic mm-hmm. in the books that, you know, gosh, she's probably lost all of her unsullied and, you know, that's gonna really prey on her mind as we start to see her talking about in the show, you know, where she talks about everything she's lost. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. rough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course, speaking of things she's lost, the the death of Rhaegal was, you know, taking away the the logistics of that scene, which are, you know, indisputably awkward. Uh, the idea of Rhaegal dying is what I want to focus on, because there's really nothing we can say about the, the way they frame that scene. It's just it's what they did. And but the idea that Rhaegal could die suddenly that could be what George told them, that that he'll die in an ambush, that it'll be shocking and sudden. And that's kind of where I was going when I mentioned the Blood Raven shot first thing and how that applies here, because that's exactly what happened on the eve of the final battle of the Blackfire Rebellion, the first one, the main one, where the lead general of Damon Blackfire, whose name was Fireball, which sounds vaguely dragon-like, was shot through the neck. While it's pausing at a river to take a drink, he was shot by some nameless person out of nowhere. It may have been Blood Raven in disguise. That's a popular theory. And it was a really difficult, crazy, lucky, or magically aided shot and that he never saw coming. So it, I was talking about on Twitter about how I think this is, if this moment were televised meaning Fireball being shot through the neck, it would have that same kind of shock of just all of a sudden this main important character is dead and we and, and it didn't really we didn't really see it coming. Uh, again, leaving out the logistics of it all. But it would seem kind of like a really ridiculously impossible shot in this case, too, on the book version. But again, there's a magical explanation that is lacking in the show that they could have used if they had used book Euron, I suppose. But uh, again, that's not neither here nor there. But it backs up the idea that the dragons will not survive the series, and it adds to Danny's loss. More, just another blow to her psyche, and uh, you know, it's her child. Um, it's it's important to remember that she thinks of them that way, even though she didn't really ever have any screen time for Viserion. <laughs> gripe, gripe. Um, so let's uh, let me kick this off to you guys with a question that we got from Tarth Girl. They seemed like they used it like they often use rape to provide motivation for another person. Uh, it's a con- this is, I'm jumping in here for, to interrupt her question to say that it's, it's a concept called fridging that happens a lot where one character is put on ice, i.e. killed to, to give a story to somebody else. Uh, her question continues here. I've always thought that the Night King's capture of Viserion was a stand-in for Book Euron's uh, use of Dragonhorn to take a dragon, which I think a lot of us agree with that. And she says, does this make you think Danny will lose a dragon, lose a dragon to the others and Euron? Will all the dragons be dead by the end? Well, I think we already answered the last one. Uh, well, if you're if y'all's opinions is different, certainly weigh in. But I do think the dragons will be dead by the end. And I do think that Night King's capture of Viserion was a stand in for Euron using the horn and that he's not unlikely to take down the wall and that he might kill another dragon with his dragon or with other means. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all these things are possible as far as the hitting these high points. Uh, Joe, what do you think about all this? Yeah, I pretty much agree with you straight on. I think uh, they're all doomed. Uh, I just think it will probably be, um, we'll have a lot more time of them being away from Daenerys. So you said, I agree that Euron is probably going to get one. I'm not sure about the others, just because we don't know 
enough about them to know if they've got any kind of that capability. Mm. But Euron definitely. Um, so I think we're just going to have more time of them being against each other than we had yeah. really had one episode. So yeah. What do you think, Lady Gwen? Well, um, they, something that's not that I hadn't written down already, but um, I do want to point out that Rhaegal, of course, was on his way to becoming John's dragon. Um, you know, John had ridden him, ridden him into battle, and seemed to be bonding with him. And if that happens in the books, that and Rhaegal does die, doesn't it just play into uh, one of something that I've heard you talk about um, about John? and a dragon mm-hmm. um so you know john losing a dragon um and especially here in the show where right after he's sent his wolf away and so now he's got no magical creature <laughs> but anyways i found that very very scary yeah, all of a sudden yeah right <laughs> and you and you also i see that you wrote here you wonder if drogon might go out like dreamfire maybe a bit like that yeah i just have this so if, if drogon is the last surviving especially you know you know they're storming king's landing uh and we i think we kind of agree that there's going to be some some attack on king's landing because what is this ash you know in the sky kind of thing so um but Will they somehow manage to kill Drogon? Could he die in the dragon pit, but only after raining fire and blood down on the city? You know, could, mm. could, they, could the small folk bring him down some somehow? Yeah. So I, I said dream fire, but it's also Syrax would also kind of fit that same mold. Syrax rain fire and blood down on the, the shepherds' people, and then. Uh, died with them, uh, which was similar to Dreamfire trying to crash through the dragon pit ceiling and also dying to the same people and herself collapsing the pit. So yeah, that, mm-hmm. those vibes are very much in play there. I agree with you. That's uh, that, that could be the way that goes. Uh, Joe, you had a you noticed something about Tyrion uh, going into the water. Yes, I have an incredibly important point uh, about <laughs> Tyrion. He's taken a 2-1 lead in the Wet Lion World Cup of Lannister brothers who fall in the water and then seemingly die and then the camera <laughs> Uh, sweeps away so uh, Jamie needs to catch up he might have to fall in the god's eye and then he <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just pass by on the way to King's Land let me jump in the water real quick <laughs> yeah and you also pointed out this is a good one that the maybe the maybe the showrunners kind of wrote themselves into a corner just a little bit by taking Euron's magic away because Euron's magic is a perfectly reasonable explanation for arrow shots that don't make sense and for ships appearing out of nowhere sneakily uh, out of as out of magical fog or whatever other magic and that would make this surprise a lot more understandable wouldn't it alas (laughs) alas indeed that's the the most succinct way you could have responded yes uh now you also have some thoughts on misande um and i wonder if we could see something like this happen in the books like danny having someone important to her dangled out in front and killed in front of her it doesn't necessarily have to be misande though does it although it could be yeah well i think we've already got kind of a version of dario being um being captured and taken away from her but it's really um i guess it could easily occur once she gets to westeros we don't know who's going to come with her on that journey across the narrow sea but you could easily see iri perhaps take that role she's been with her since the beginning it's a much more similar uh friendship than what she has with Masande in the books because Masande is so young. Um, I guess you could see it with Jorah as well, but I don't think he would likely get that kind of death. So, um, yeah. 
That's yeah. a good point. I hadn't thought about Jorah being that. I would be. I would be rough. But um, be weird. That, of course, you would also have to forgive him first, which is not unlikely because yeah. that happened in the show too. And yeah, um, but Danny does have more. You know, just like uh, just like the Baratheon bastards. There's more characters for Danny to have in this role. It doesn't have to be Masande, but it could be. And boy, that would be that would be hard to deal with because yeah. Masande is this this little girl in the book. She's so yeah. awesome. I mean, she's awesome in the show too. But We've never killed little yeah. girls. <laughs> just don't take her to Dorne, right? No. Right. Um, uh, I was just saying, since you mentioned little girls, when she was standing on the wall, I was reminded of Beth Cassell, uh, Fion, oh, yeah. Beth Cassell on the walls of Winterfell, which, of course, catch. I mean, it didn't do anything terrible to her, but the threat was there. Was definitely yeah. Similar. Very good call. I totally didn't think of that one. Uh, okay, let's talk about uh, Faye John the Sixth. <laughs> <laughs> So all these weird names culminate here. And the reason I'm, I made this, this I spelled it that way or said it that way is because, well, obviously, Aegon the sixth is, is not fake uh, in the show here, but he is probably fake in the books. But they're sort of merging these plots a bit by having Varys turn on Danny or at least saying he will. And, well, Varys is in the books working for the son of Rhaegar after all just the actual son not a fake Blackfire here in the show I mean he's work if he's working for John then it's a real son of Rhaegar and not a <laughs> not a fake one so it's kind of working but in some ways it doesn't because there's certain certain things that make Varys inconsistent here given his history that don't really work with him turning to support John that do work with him supporting Fagon so it's another kind of adaptation awkwardness but if we can kind of get past the the parts that don't work, it still gives us some insight to the books, and it's very interesting. So, Joe, uh, go ahead with your takes here. You've got some cool stuff that I that I see here. You wrote. Yeah, I, uh, I just um, really I was on Team Varys for this episode. Yeah, it was probably maybe the strongest character because we've not really heard anything from him in so long. We got a little bit in season seven, but it's been a, a long time. Um, and his speech to Tyrion and Dragonstone about who he really serves, and uh, we don't know their names, but they're just important. I'm just glad that they've kept him um, as the guy for the small folk, and he hasn't actually been revealed to have any um, personal purpose like he has in the books. It's quite a good change, in my opinion. Mm. I really liked the dynamic between him and Tyrion of the whole episode of Varys, you know, kind of pushing and pushing and pushing that, maybe Daenerys isn't the best choice and Tyrion having to keep deflecting and you can see him kind of weakening those defences throughout. Um, I don't know if we'll ever see them together in the books, but I certainly hope they do cross paths again because that was always such a good um, relationship they had. So let me throw an idea out here. Uh, Danny is supposed to be the slayer of lies, as we're told, and we're wondering who the three betrayals are. That's a constant, you know, fandom question. Now, Varys can't really be the betrayal for blood in the books because he's never actually been on her side in the books. He's, he's She's been like his screen and then eventually like, oh, she has dragons. Let's marry her to our guy. Uh, so she can't really betray him or he can't really betray her because he's never been on her side. So maybe the betrayal for blood is John. Maybe uh, Lady Gwen, you have another take, though, don't you? I do. I do. Um, I think that the treason for blood in the books, if we're talking about the books, yeah. <laughs> is Barristan joining Fagon 
if he believes, if he comes to believe that uh, Fagon is Rhaegar's son, which actually lines up very well with what you were saying just now about Varys being with, you know, being with John in the show. So um, that that is my kind of, you know, obviously in the books we're meant to think maybe the betrayal for blood was Miri Mazdor or something that's already happened, but I think that's likely one of the famous red herrings. And I think we're still going to see this somehow like this. So um, for what it's worth, I think that John is the treason for love. Oh. I, think, I mm. think that he's the final reference in each one of those groups because each one ends with love. And even the, when she has the visions, the final vision is the blue flower. So I think that John is kind of like where it's all leading, mm. but how it all plays out is anyone's guess because it's, you know, prophecy. Good point. Good point. Um, <laughs> so one popular theory that's been around for a while uh, that got a lot stronger after John's death and probable pending on un- uh, undeath is that it enables him to survive extreme cold. And that has, you know, leads to the idea of him going very far north to the lands of always winter and maybe that's part of his destiny. It could involve mm-hmm. taking a dragon there on a suicide mission. It could involve trudging through the snow with Ghost and some companions, not unlike the last hero, mm-hmm. something in between. I don't know that he dies for fighting for Danny in the books. That doesn't seem terribly likely. Uh, this seems more likely, something dying to save humanity or dying to f- f- stop winter forever. What do you guys think? Joe, uh, you start. Yeah, I love the idea of him eventually going further and further north. Um, he can wave to ghosts as he goes past now, can't he? <laughs> um, he's just so intrinsically linked with uh, everything above the wall, and that's how we've seen. Well, that's how we've seen the entire area. That's how we've seen the story through John's eyes. I'd really like it to be him going up there, and I would really like to see what is up there. What's um, what the heart of winter actually is. And I think that's much more likely in the books to be where we find the, the cause and the, whatever the others are, et cetera, et cetera. So I definitely would like to see that. Cool. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, also let's see, uh, moving onward. Actually, I want to back up slightly to the planning for the war before we move on to Danny. Let's talk a little bit about the setup for the war because, uh, we get a couple of details, I want to give a shout out to my friend uh, Rudy Edwards, who shared an Ask Historians thread with me that shows that maps are a very new thing as far as military use. Um, they, this is not a criti- criticism of Game of Thrones because maps are used in all sorts of war movies and ancient battles to show what the people are planning. It's a wonderful visual tool, but technically it's anachronistic. Um, anyway, so we hear that Danny still has a lot of support, even though her army is small, don't we, Lady Gwen? Yeah, I mean, she's got, I alluded to this earlier, she's got the the nominal lords of the West, the Vale, the North, the Stormlands, the <laughs> new Prince of Dorne yeah. are all with her. Um, we, we haven't heard anything from the Riverlands in ages, but presumably if it's still the Tullys, I guess. I guess or, yeah. Uh, it's, I guess they would be with her too. Edmure is um, still alive. Yeah, somewhere. so I mean, <laughs> he's not part of the show anymore, but he presumably would still support, you know, who his family is supporting uh and the veil and etc so uh, the reach is apparently up for grabs there's really no one there some sort of power vacuum meaning she's got the whole 
everyone except the Crown Lands or maybe even just King's Landing. Right on. So, and Joe, you had a, a good point here about how they just needed to remind us that this stuff exists, didn't, don't they? Yeah, it takes me back to that uh, bubble bursting uh, analogy I keep think of. Like you say, it's just been a long time since we've heard of these places and we needed reminding, the characters need reminding that it's all still out there. There's still a, a board for this game that they play and they need to get back on it. Um, it's, I found it hilarious when uh, Daenerys asked if anyone knew who was Lord of Storm's End and they would kind of went, <laughs> if they don't know them, surely we don't either. So. <laughs> um, but I do think it's worth pointing out that in the books, if she did have this much support from the surrounding kingdoms, it would seem a lot more uh, one-sided, even if her armies were decimated, because like uh, Lady Gwen says, they're pretty much surrounded you've got pretty much everyone i guess they could get a little block out of uh depending on what the lannister still control but yeah that's a good point wouldn't look good yeah and uh y'all had a quick thought on sansa too right you really kind of sansa was maybe kind of right about letting them rest i think danny maybe had a point about needing to move quickly but mm-hmm. you gotta let your men rest i mean heck how what's kyburn gonna do build more scorpions i mean geez yeah. he was already they're about as prepared as they could be <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it's it's a couple of times that Sansa says things that uh, this one for a very specific reason. She wants to let the men rest. Danny, Danny does not want to. She's invoking her own personal losses, and she just refuses to wait. But then John kind of has to pacify her after their you know after their scene together, where she was he was pledging that he was going to support her no matter what, and he kind of overrules Sansa. And I just thought this was obviously meant to be, but one of those moments where you're like, you should have listened to her. Yep. <laughs> you really should have. <laughs> really should have. Yeah. And that, that, that provided some awkwardness there because they don't know. They don't know what John is doing. They don't know that John is backing her up because of this, uh, because of he wants to assuage her fears, but it just inflames Sansa and Arya's fears, but, you know, yeah. by, you know, instead. So, very, uh, very much a tightrope walk there. Uh, so let's move on. We got to talk about this new Prince of Doran. People wanted us to to think about that a bit. Well, we don't know who it is, uh, but Doran's death in the books is likely for the same reason it happened in the show. That's probably that they could probably got that idea from George. Of course, the, the, certainly going to go differently. But uh, what we could be faced with in the books is Ariane Martell who might ally with Danny, but might not because she's about to hear rumors about how the Dragon Queen burned her brother to death. Now, we know that's not what really happened, but that is how the rumor will probably shape itself. And she's on this mission, Ariane is, to visit young Griff, who we all are getting vibes that she might seduce and, and pair up with, and then that's an alliance, and then that's not going to be uh, friendly to Danny. But uh, after all things kind of go farther, if she slays the lies, if we get if Aegon the six turns into sort of a game and pale hair type character, or if he just dies, it could eventually be Danny and Dorne, couldn't it, Joe? Yeah, it depends uh, a lot on where Danny is eventually going to land, um, and obviously she's got a few choices and a few theories have been thrown out. But Dawn is is one of them, um, and Dawn would just have to accelerate their decision making a bit if dragons are appearing on the horizon. Um, conversely, they may be overconfident uh, that they're the best place to deal with dragons given their history. So it could go either way. Mm, good point. 
And so if we're thinking all this through, these things I've just said and that Joe said, we might it might end up with Ariane dying as well, especially if uh, young Griff Fagon dies. And Lady Gwen, you ask if if that makes Tristan the prince. And I would guess so, maybe. Maybe. But... (laughs) He could die too. I mean, if the you know, it's hard to say for sure because the show compressed Tristane into Quentin into and Ariana all into one character, really. But if the show is accurate with regards to the Sand Snakes turning on Doran, then they probably turn on Tristane also. Ugh. And if so, then he's doomed. And in that case, Ariane, Tristane, and Qu- Quentin all dead, maybe. Then I really don't know who comes next after that. <laughs> so something to consider, though, that Doran might be in. Uh, get pretty chaotic in the books. It Dark won't... Star. Yeah, Dark Star wants to take the seat. It wants to be. <laughs> yeah. Wants to take the high seat at Sunspear. <laughs> Could be. Well, he's got especially if he takes Dawn. Sunspear. He's got the Dawn. Uh, you know. Right. <laughs> so speaking of Dorn, um, let's talk about the Dornish wheels here. Uh, it's a kind of a fun reference. Um, Bran talking to Tyrion about uh, the, he refers to Daron's nephew of 120 years ago. Now, assuming this lines up with book canon, this is either a child of his sister Daenerys. That's Daron the second sister Daenerys who married Maron Martell. And of course, Daron himself married Mariah Martell. So it's either an in-law nephew or uh, his sister's kid. Now, since Doran Martell has a wheelchair, we can maybe surmise that this design came from his ancestor. So they kind of tied that up nicely, like created like a little line of of, of wheelchair design succession passing down. And uh, this is the same Maron Martell who built the water gardens uh, for this Daenerys. And I've guessed that the water gardens are doomed based on some evidence I present in our Nymeria series. So yet more chaos for Dorne and, and sorrow for Dorne probably, or possibly. And the circle is even more complete when we talk about this is uh, the, the three-eyed crow slash three-eyed raven was master of whispers for Daron II, the same king. And it was Daron that gave him dark sister and the right to form the raven's teeth. So all yeah. sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. Wheels within wheels. <laughs> wheels within wheels. Yes. <laughs> Badoom. You'll be here all the week. Um, okay. So our final section: um, Angry Queen, Dangerous Queen, not Mad Queen. Her her isolation, as we've been talking about a lot throughout this episode, off and on. It's been playing out for a while, but it's during the celebration and then the things that happen just after it. Uh, her lot, the loss of Missandei and Rhaegal, uh, are really you know, hammering this point even more. And Amelia's acting, I thought, was really good as well. And I look forward to how George R. R. Martin handles this descent for Danny as well, even though it's going to be painful too. It's going to be hard from an empathy standpoint. But I seeing this shortened version on TV, rather than frustrating me, because I'm just used to them doing this, I, I don't have these expectations that we get this fully fleshed out stuff. It's a tease for what we have to look forward to in the books, though, because I do think we'll see something like this. And George is probably going to be masterful with it. So that's pretty cool. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, I think uh, in a way he's already started with it, especially the loneliness aspect. We see it in Marine as um, she kind of loses... Jorah uh, and then Dario's gone as well. She's already starting to lose those closest to her. And you can kind of get this sense of her disconnecting um, when she marries and has to sleep with his star. You can just kind of feel her leaving her body almost dis- disconnecting because she's not very fond of her situation. Um, and George has done a great job of making me feel sorry for her already. So I can only imagine 
uh, what he's going to do with what she's got to come. Right on. Any thought? Anything to add to that, Lady Gwen? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> well right put, both of you. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I had a lot of this stuff of Rhaenyra, Cersei, Daenerys sort of triangle parallel that I said we'd talk about, mm-hmm. but due to time constraints, I'm going to save that for a parallel live stream or something in the future there. Um, but check my Twitter for uh, a mm-hmm. short list of comparisons between Danny and Cersei that are really quite stunning in terms mm-hmm. of just things that people probably hadn't noticed. Just for example, they both have a prophecy given to them about their future ability to bear children or what their or the future of chil- of their children in general and they both have three children who die one by one and well it goes on even but they both lose their hair <laughs> you know <laughs> Yeah. Their firstborn kid, both kill, like, is really problematic. Joffrey is, well, obvious, and Drogon kills that little girl. And, you know, there's just lots of little parallels. That, anyway, I'll save a lot of them for later. Lady Gwen, you added something really important to this whole note of that from ancient history that wraps a lot of this up and shows that this has been foreshadowed, the the idea of what happens after the long night. Yeah, that's right. And we we talked about this um, last week, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but this idea that after the war for the dawn, there is conflict between the victorious allies. And the quote is, yet the great empire of the dawn was not reborn for the restored world was a broken place where every tribe of men went its own way, fearful of all the others and war and lust and murder endured even to our present day. And, you know, so that's what happened then contrast that with several mentions in the books of a predicted summer that will never that would never end i think most of those are actually in Tyrion chapters but that's you know what we ex- we as readers are kind of being trained to expect that this war for the dawn is going to bring us to this glorious afterlife but george talks about the you know the tolkien-esque ending where it's really not so simple. The Great War is over, but you still have the scouring of the Shire. And, um, you know, conflict is not at an end in spite of the great enemy being defeated. So uh, it's really fascinating as we look at the end game here uh, with two weeks to go um, to consider those themes. Absolutely. Well said. Yeah, and it's it's definitely playing out. George, again, giving us the historical foreshadowing uh, that we maybe should have, uh, we maybe saw coming, but didn't maybe give full, uh, realize just how important some of those lines were. This next little section uh, is called Beware the Perfumed Seneschal. Uh, we'll start it off with a question from William Coupland. Where's Varus? He wasn't with Danny at King's Landing. He wasn't with John when he left. I doubt he'll stick around at Winterfell, simply twiddling his thumbs. Has he gone to Dorne, I wonder? The new Prince of Dorne has said he supports Danny enough to send forces, mayhaps. Well, yes, we do believe he'll send forces. Uh, that seems to be likely, given what they said. But we did see him in the scene, didn't we, Joe? We saw him uh, refer to... Uh, we got a little re- a little hidden, sneaky reference to something Varys has said before, didn't we? Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, evidently... Varys does just keep on swimming wherever you put him. <laughs> yeah. Have him off the ship forever, doesn't matter. He was seen uh, choking up water with the rest of them after Euron's surprise attack. So he was there. Um, I guess we just don't see him standing with Danny during the scene, during the showdown with Cersei, perhaps. I don't recall if he was there or not. But he's there. He's with the group. Uh, he might be back on Dragonstone. He may not have gone with the army. Um, and so here's this line, this quote about the perfume Seneschal. It comes from Quaithe. 
Hear me, Daenerys Targaryen. The glass candles are burning. Soon comes the pale mare, and after her the others. Kraken and dark flame, lion and griffin, the sun's sun and the mummer's dragon. Trust none of them. Remember the undying. Beware the perfumed seneschal. Resnak? Why should I fear him? Danny rose from the pool. Water trickled down her legs and goose flesh covered her arms in the cool night air. If you have some warning for me, speak plainly. What do you want of me, Quaith? I dance with dragons Daenerys too. I mean, I feel her on that last part. Like, come on, Quaith. <laughs> Can just say who it is. <laughs> yeah, and so Dance yeah. of Dragons tries to lead us astray there a bit, doesn't it? They give us some some red herrings. Resnak, probably not. The the ship Makoro and Tyrion are on is is translates as the stinky steward, but it's probably do y'all agree that it's probably referring to Varus? Yeah. Probably. Yeah. 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 I mean, makes sense. It, it makes the most amount of sense. Um, and again, it's like all all the other prophecies. There's always a red herring. The first thing you think of is almost always not the thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, um, a question from Kim Abridged. I have a question about the whole Mad Queen thing. Cersei does seem to be goading Danny, but then with Tyrion and Varys, they jump to that treason talk pretty quickly. Maybe they're a litmus test. If they can't get behind a ruler, is it a sign Westeros is just over single-person rule? They've been burned by a lot of bad rulers, pun intended, and now it's too much to ask any Westerosi to put all their trust in one person. And she finishes this question with a way to kind of drive the point home, which is... Look at all the promo posters. Look at all the characters. Who would actually be good as an unlimited monarch? Would you trust any of them with that, even the best of them? And isn't that a good indication that maybe they should try something else? Mm -hmm. um, this topic has come up several times this season, even last season, whether or not they'll move to another form of government. But I hadn't seen it approached this way. And that's kind of neat. Um, what did you guys think about... Uh, well, Lady Gwen, I know, Joe, you've weighed in on this a bit already. Jo uh, Lady Gwen, what did you think about the um, Varus's... Uh, talk of of going after Danny. Did you think? Did you feel like it was earned? Or did you think it was inconsistent with you know some of his other thoughts about plans that would lead to just as much harm to the small folk or or what? Um, no, I mean I think Varus, you know, is it's consistent with things he's said. I, I believe, um, although I suppose you could come up with reasons why it might not be. It's really a factor of, you know, we're compressed for time. And so some subtlety gets lost, in, yeah. you know, in the translation. But um, I think to answer the question, um, you know, that Var and Varus has the answer to this question. I think that John, John is pretty much the only one because he's the only one that would kind of rule what does he say that, you know, maybe the best candidate is someone, who, is someone who doesn't want to be, it yeah. doesn't want it. Uh, Cause he has no interest in it personally, but he would be, you know, truly in it for the greater good. Not, right. not that scary kind of greater good, but the, <laughs> but the real greater good. <laughs> and there's so, a contrast to someone like Robert, who someone might think of Robert as a reluctant monarch, but he's not a reluctant monarch. He's a lazy monarch. Like Robert yeah. liked, being cheered and loved he didn't mm. like ruling he wasn't reluctant to to wield power he was right. reluctant to take responsibility <laughs> whereas yeah. john will take responsibility but he'd be reluctant to 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 lord it over people and to you know wield mm -hmm. ambition over other people yeah um yeah okay uh i also have this big part written about brawn 
and cell swords and high garden and how that relates to characters like Ulf the White and and cell swords like the Golden Company and how they might be taking castles. And I think it's pretty relevant, but I'll save it. We'll we'll talk about this some other time because this bronze stuff isn't done yet. We can always come back to it. It's not like uh, this is our only chance and we have a bunch of questions still to get to. So let's take care of this last set of questions and we'll call it a day. Uh, final cues beginning now. Dana the Dreamy asks, what's the point of Danny's arc? I thought she might be, she might finally realize that the throne wasn't that important after striving it for her whole life. So I guess the question we could say is, will Danny back off and realize that this, that this isn't something she should be pushing so hard for? Maybe that the throne isn't the be all end all. Maybe she isn't destined to remove all these tyrants. Uh, do you guys have any takes on Danny's arc as a whole in that sense? Or are we just kind of seeing what we're seeing and that's it? Is it really more straightforward? Well, uh, yeah, go ahead, Lady. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think it's possible that she still might get there. And I mean, it seems like they don't really have time for that. But again, pacing, um, they certainly could have her. I mean, they've had characters do, you know, 180s in, in the, an entire episode already. Looking at you, Jamie. <laughs> but but uh, I, she certainly could get there. And um I kind of see, and actually I saw Emmett talking about some sort of echoes of uh, poor Quentin on Twitter, um, echoes of Danny and Stannis. And um, not that Stannis got there specifically. Um, In my opinion, it would just be more of Danny realizing that you have to put, you know, you have to save the realm. And and I know she kind of did that already, but the, the realm isn't just the North and the, saving it from the others you know there are other things that are more important than just fighting for that chair so um she could get there (laughs) Uh, let's kind of hope she does i do too i always saw that her ending would be more um more um along those lines although you know i think she will have an ending but you know hopefully it's better than not (laughs) yeah uh, Andy Cassidy refers to Dana's Dana the Dreamy's question and wonders what the thematic point of the others is. She do, he doesn't really understand what the show is trying to do with them, but in the books he says one of the ways I've understood them is as subtext made text, the dead weight of history constantly holding society back, and so giving an explanation to the lack of progress materially and socially. Only by defeating history can we reshape society in the way we want it to be, such as equality of gender and caste. And moving on is impossible as long as we're beholden to what came before. I can't add anything to that. That was brilliant. <laughs> That's, I mean, I could, we could throw in some of the other allegories like climate change, but we've covered that before and don't need to say it again. That's genius. I, I don't want to say it differently than you just did. <laughs> Do you guys have anything to add to that? That was a really good take. No, perfect. Yeah. The really weight good. of history. That's really good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Got me speechless there, buddy. Good one, Andy Cassidy. You should be uh, you should be running the show. Uh, JDS Third says, "Why didn't Danny give the North the same deal she did with Yara and the Iron Islands? Yara is a stranger, and she loves and trusts Aegon. I don't get it. We actually did cover this before, but it's easy to miss because you know we do so much show coverage. Uh, and I think it was probably answered on the show review, not the book review. Well." Yara was offering something. Yara was saying, "Hey, I'll join you, and you get my fleet." Danny was coming as a savior and saying, look, after I save you guys, help me with whatever you have left. So I 
as far as negotiations, Yara had a much better, uh, was negotiating from strength when Danny was still trying to get her coalition together. Whereas when the North was involved, Danny was already a powerhouse. She already had the Unsullied and Yara and, and the Dothraki and everything. And she was already in Westeros. Yara, without Yara, Danny might not have come to Westeros. So that was part of the deal. Yara had a, had a lot of negotiating strength that, that the North didn't have or doesn't have. Right. Um, um, let's be real. Also, the North is a much bigger part of Westeros than the Iron Islands. Good so point. Yeah. To, for Danny to just say, "Yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah, you guys do your thing," would be a lot harder if you're just surely looking at a map. Mm. Good point. Uh, uh, for DTS, Brand uh, from B DTS rather, Brand decided to out John's heritage. But when John is debating whether to tell the Stark girls, he says the choice is his. How do you view these scenes? Joe, let's turn that one over to you. Um, what did you think about the secret, how it broke and whether how John handled it and uh, any thoughts you might have on how that might play out in the books? Well, I think uh, Bran's motivation to uh, just give John the truth and then what John chooses to do with it is his own. I think that was what Bran was trying to get at. Um, Truth is such a large part of John's character because he's Ned's son and that's like half of their uh, characterization. So you can see that uh, in John's scene with Daenerys, him struggling even with the idea of lying to his family. And we know how much a secret, um, well, the same secret affected Ned. So you can only imagine how it would um affect john as well and he obviously decided to not go for that and tell his siblings so i think some part of that is probably because of the words Aya said and saying you're not my half brother or my bastard brother you're my brother mm. and you know before he found this out i doubt there's any words john would have wanted to hear from anyone and especially because they're from Aya specifically um that might have tipped him over the edge to share that with his siblings. I really enjoyed that scene, seeing them all together. It was, especially in the Godswood as well, it was a really beautiful scene. Right on. Uh, anything to add, Lady Gwen? Mm, no. Just well, well said. Just... Right on. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next question from LMC, L. McKee or LMC. Uh, despite all the foreshadowing regarding Danny having a child, do you think they're just going to abandon that? Was it all for nothing? What do you think, Lady Gwen? What uh, do you think that they might uh, go somewhere with that, like a, an epilogue -y thing? Obviously, they can't have a baby come to term in two episodes, but no. But I mean, they could look at all the, the similarities that you, you know you just touched on, and but you mentioned how many there are between her and Cersei. They could certainly. Uh, she's been with John for long enough that um, it, it could certainly come out that she's got a baby in the belly, just like Cersei does, and just that is another kind of similarity to these two queens mm. um i hadn't really thought about it but you know i i, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened really mm, okay yeah well said uh from sylvia sabrecht why couldn't the treason prophecy be something that danny does rather than something she undergoes the first two prophecies worded as one to one to love or one to blank but the last words it as once for once for love once for once for yeah so I admit I never thought about it that way. Danny could be the one who turns on someone else, but uh, yeah, it could. I, if the question is why couldn't it be, I guess it it can be. I, it I'm not. Be. Yeah, what do you think, Lady Gwen? Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it could be. Uh, but you know, so it would be once you know, once for blood, uh, and once for gold, 
And so the the problem would be have if if that applied throughout would be why once for gold. Um, but you know it could it could be viewed that way, and once for blood could be maybe her. Uh, I don't know doing something for. I don't know betraying John. I, yeah, you know, I, don't, I don't know, but it's it's tre- it's not betrayal. It's treason, which implies. You know, treason is something that's committed against the monarch or the state. So I guess the the implication mm. is that it's um, something that that's why it's implied that it's something okay. against her. Good point. I, yeah, in my opinion. I can yeah. see that. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. That, that might that might seal it up as it has to be something done to her because of the the wording. But yeah, we'll see. It's a, it's a good thing to be wary of or to look out for. Mm-hmm. Um, B word says grief can drive people mad. Danny's grieving for more than just her friends. She's also grieving for her own identity as the last dragon. You know, that's another callback to season one to Viserys, who called himself the last dragon. It's kind of awkward to think of this and, and kind of funny at the same time how he would say to Danny, you don't want to wake the dragon, do you? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. that is what's happening. Danny is awakening as the, you don't want to wake the dragon, do you? No, we don't. But that's happened. She's awakened. Mm-hmm. She's been pushed really far. She's grieving. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so. Yeah. Also, don't forget that Jorah tells her i think he's in the show as well jorah tells danny that rhaegar was the last dragon hmm. um and so then she starts to feel that that she's the last dragon oh, yeah. well then now you got john yeah son. true so it's kind of like wait i was the wait you're the no i'm we're both the <laughs> yeah. it's a it's a it's a bit of a change in her life perspective there right uh, Carol Funk asks, War versus Euron and Danny happening in Marine or King's Landing? Well, a little both because we already have the showdown with with the Iron Fleet hitting uh, Slaver's Bay and the Danny's side not exactly knowing what their motivations are. Barrison assumes they're there to help and that could go a number of ways. But I don't think Euron's going to go all the way to Marine. Um, th- I know that's a theory that he's been following the Iron Fleet, but... I think that was pretty much put to rest by uh, the Forsaken chapter. Without spoiling it, I hope I didn't spoil anything. Euron almost certainly wasn't following them to uh, Marine. Uh, DTS super chat with no question. Thank you very much. Jason O'Connor says they should have all they should have all the surviving Dothraki cut their braids because the living ones are the ones that fled. Then again, they did flee back to the castle, so they never stopped fighting, and they did win the battle. However, that's a good point, and it. The show didn't miss this. Uh, I don't know about the actual Dothraki warriors, but if you look closely at Danny's braid for the next episode, it's been undone, uh, which is probably because of the loss of Masande or the loss to Euron and the loss of Rhaegal. So Danny is carrying on that tradition, and the show didn't forget that. So good on them. I like that detail. Well done, show. Um, Tim F. Question: Do you think the voice virus heard in the flames was Danny sentencing him to death? <laughs> Whoa. Uh no, but I love the idea. I think the voice was something un, you know unrelated to that. Uh but that is cool. I like the idea. I do. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to know what the hell that voice said. But uh hmm, yeah. Any other you guys have any thoughts on that? Oh no, I mean it would be <laughs> it would be amazing. The but... word could be d- Dracaris, right? Dracaris. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. 
Uh, Max Strand says, honestly, how do they know who to capture in a sea of no names? Uh, they, they just go right to the no name Masande. Ha <laughs> ha. Well, actually, I think it's actually pretty straightforward. For one thing, Euron does know who Masande is. He met her at the dragon pit and saw her standing with Daenerys and her small retinue. So anyone standing close to Daenerys and in, in a small retinue like that is going to be important. Second of all, uh, Grey Worm told her to flee on a skiff. It doesn't take a genius to see the skiff fleeing away and say that's probably someone important. So I, I don't think this is—I uh, don't think there's any plot hole there. I think it's—I think it's—I think it's, I think it's uh, straightforward enough if you break it down like that. Um, Vanessa Lay, thank you for all your content. You've enhanced my Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire experience. Well, thank you, Vanessa, for saying so. We'll keep it coming. We'll keep having awesome guests and great questions. And uh, as good as we can do the best job we can, we'll keep good covering said. the show. What's that? <laughs> good said. <laughs> good wor- words. Yes. Yay. Thing. <laughs> and from Strange TV to Radio Westeros, just for being the awesome people that they are. Yes, Radio Westeros is awesome. We mentioned that Sandor episode. But y'all have a lot of other rel- – what are some of the most relevant episodes to stuff we talk about today besides Sandor? What else we got? Well, Long Night, I guess we talked about that. We have a Danny episode. Um, gosh, Battle – well, Battle Fire's kind of come and gone, I guess. Yeah. Uh, we have ep- – they're all character-driven. So, you know, we have lots of character episodes. Yeah. So probably uh, in almost every character – Who's out there in this, you know, Jamie and Brienne, Cersei, all of them, Arya, Sander. And the ones that you haven't <laughs> done, you'll do eventually. <laughs> we will do them eventually. Right and just thank you, uh, Justin. It's cool to hang out with you at Ice Fire Con. Right on. So, yes. Got to yeah. meet Strange TV in person, and it was great. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, that about wraps us up. I have some thanks to say, one or two final thoughts. And of course, Lady Gwen, uh, you can. Those are that's a good closing statement for you. Make sure to check out RadioWestros.com. Subscribe to them on YouTube and iTunes. And Joe Buckley, excellent first appearance. You were great. Uh, dropped several great thoughts and uh, several great jokes as well. You got us all laughing. So please repeat <laughs> your uh, the places where we can find you. As well as being able to find you here with us. <laughs> yeah, just keep looking. Um, you'll find me on Twitter at uh, Sir Buckley. That's the George version of Sir. Um, <laughs> you can find me at the Isle of Faces podcast, where we have some guests of the uh, fandom come on and talk. I'm sure we'll get you both on at some point when yeah. we get you free. Um, we also do some little mini casts while the season's on, where my wife and I argue a lot. <laughs> and you can also find me on my blog at the Grindstone. Eh, I'll get it right, shall I? Thegrindstone.co.uk, where I'm uh, just overly positive about the show, annoying everyone. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, thanks for thanks that. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, we'll definitely have you again. It went well. Okay. And, of course, look out for Joe's writing uh, as part of our scripted episodes. We're going to be putting out a Blackwood episode not too long after the season that that you wrote nearly all of. I haven't added my thoughts to it yet, but you did a great job. I think I'll have okay. less to add than than in previous episodes. It's uh, It's going to be really good. Um, two more final thoughts. This is the Thrones effect. We got our, our hard copy today or not today, but recently. And it's, uh, there's a chapter by me and Ashea in this and it's available on audible. Now you can go to our website, history of Westeros.com on the sidebar there. There's num- numerous ways to connect to Amazon and or audible. Amazon is owns audible. So it's kind of the same thing. 
You can get two free downloads by starting an Audible subscription, uh, a free trial. It's free to try. Like I said, those books are free. You can get The Thrones Effect that way. And if you don't like the uh, the subscription, if it's not for you, well, you can still get to keep those free downloads. But the subscription is pretty great. You got lots of free stuff and it's not too expensive and it supports the show, uh, meaning us. And so check that out. And I hope you enjoy our book if you decide to acquire it. Also, thanks again to our sponsor, Studio Sweden, my hobby horse earphones treated me very well this episode as they always do remember that you can get them at studiosweden.com we have a link in the show notes and you get 15 percent off using the code westeros 15 and yeah very good uh technology there very good headphones okay so thanks to some patrons also thanks to ashea again for running things behind the scenes fantastic job managing the chat, weathering the storms that come with all that. And thank you everyone who came and watched live. Thank you for liking and subscribing and sharing because it really does mean a lot. Financial support is not nearly the only way to help us out. It really does make a big difference when you tell your friends and click that like button. Okay. Uh, thank you to our... Um, excuse me, to our peers of the realm, the mysterious BR, Hand of the King. Uh, the Smiling Wolf is Lord Stephen Stark of the Broken Tower, soldier, scholar, philosopher, diplomat, and of Queen Shea, who is known as the best. Lord Jim the Fortuitous of Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire blog is Warden of the West. Lord George Stormsville the Cunning is Lord of the Chiliad and Warden of the East. Cabeth the Unfrozen is Lord of the Bricks and Castle Crimson Light, Defender of the Old Gods and Warden of the North. Lady Kelly McMath of Covington is Lady of the Villa Hills and Crescent Springs, Warden of the South. Lord James Tuttle is King of the Stepstones and the Narrow Sea, Commander of the Royal Fleet, consisting of the Narrow Fleet, led by Flagship Caraxes, and the Bloodstone Fleet, led by Flagship Prince Damon. King Beyond the Wall, Sidney Jesse, is the Fallborn, Lord of Blue Spring and the Haunted Forest, wields the Dagger of Dragonglass and the Valyrian Steel Blade, Red Frost. Denise of Lazar, Embar Persis, former head of the Cell Sail Company, the Fiery Shepherds, is conqueror and sea lord of the Orange Shore, and he is still feuding with Rebea, Lady of Waves, who isn't too uh, worried. She's, you know, sitting here saying, what kind of threat is this guy really? Uh, so she's talking some trash here, and I'm enjoying it. <laughs> Our small council includes Lord Daniel, the sneaky Russian, master of ships, who's also enjoying this uh, feud of other people and their uh, their navies while he sits back and counts his, uh, his profits. Grand Maester Via James. Lord, ben Lord Benjamin of House Hornwood is our master of laws. Lord Fabian Flowers is the bastard of Greenshield, master of coin. Lord Johan of House Orcos is called Shadowhawk, and he is master of whispers. Lady Dyerless of Castle Naki is the alpha patron. Lord Dan of the Red Mountains and Castle Great. Bell is Breaker of the Second Stone. Nice pun today there, Lord Dan. Gregor the Toasty is Lord of the Breadfort. Also nice pun there, but that was a while ago. <laughs> Alicia Everlasting of the Greenblood is Lady of Desert Rose. Lord Ryan of Castle Stonegate is Guardian of the Rocky Mountain Pass. Ashland Winter is the Hawk's Eye, Lady of Castle Skyfall. Lady Mikkel of Moonacre is Leader of the Werewood Protectorate Alliance. The Lord of the Halls of Castle Hillcrest is Wielder of the Valyrian Steel Machete Everglazed. Lord Alistair Whitaker is Lord of the Dawnhold. Lord Bemmy Snuggle Bunny is Guardian Ranger of the Hidden Hundred Acre Werewood, dual wielder of Valyrian Short Swords, Glorious Morning, and Little Light Wise. He's the sharpshooter of the Werewood and Ironwood Laminated Longbow, Todd Von Oven. When you fear things cannot get worse, Snuggle Bunny enters the fray. 
The Bastard of the Wolfswood is first forester of the old gods, sworn to House Ironwarewood. Listen for the silence. Lady Liana Kelly of Wolf Island is protectress of the Steelhold. Casey Stark is of House Acres. Lady Kay of House Archer is Lady of Earthdog Hall, the Huntress of the Wolfswood, and Guardian of Maddie Squirrelsbane, the Mighty Direweedy. Lady Raywen of House Dillsdane is the Star Spear. Peter Rivers is the Pale Dragon and heir to Bloodraven, who shot first. And Sir Matthew is of the House Begonius. Our King's Justice is Sir Troy the Steady, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade Fate. Bloody Ben Blackwood is Master of Whisperers. Rebea Star Eyes is Lady of Waves and Mistress of Ships, Captain of the Iron Shadowcat. In the shadows, we bear our claws. Lady Laura of House Brondos is Master of Coin. Grand Maester M. Elizabeth is middle daughter of Liana Mormont, first lady to forge both the silver and Valyrian steel links. Our King's Guard is led by Miriam R., backed up by Sir Dolores D., longest tenured white sword. Willa Crowsbane, guardian of the white tree, is first lady of the free folk. Sir Dean the White is knight of the black star. Sir Jord of House Pepsi is the beverage knight. Gregor Snow is called Snow Bear, a bastard of Winterfell. Sir Glennon of House Leanne is called Lion Cloak. Lord Captain Commander Hayma Helminth is the sellsword sentinel. Alexander of House Atreides from the Seat of Doom, I Must Not Fear. Fear is the Mind Killer. Becca the Bard is Songbird of the North. Michonne the Melodious is Star of Old Town, Minds Over Masters. Sir Rambo, Knight of House Ganon, Motto First Blood. Sir Leon of House Walker, wielder of the twin Valyrian steel blades Fire and Ice and the Werewood Bow Rain. Amber the Adamant is Knight of the Mist and Mother of Squids. And last but certainly not least, as always, is the history of Westeros Night's Watch, led by Lord Commander Benjen Umber, the Silent Giant, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Greatsword, Winter's Kiss. First builder, Magor Snow, a.k.a. Magor the Cool, is the fire in the snow. First steward, Sir Jurion of the Torrentine, is called Pale Wind. And first ranger, Sir Source Delica of House Gramercy, wraps things up. Thanks again, everyone. We will see you on Saturday at 2. Oh, Rawrest is going live right now, so anyone who hasn't had enough Game of Thrones review talk, head on over to her channel and tell her that History of Westeros sent you. And yeah, we'll see you Saturday at 2 or Monday at 7 p.m. or next Wednesday, also 7 p.m. Eastern Standard at our usual times. Until then, Valar rewatch us and absolutely Valar reread us.